Welcome to Hooplecast. I am your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts. Carol. Matt. Mel. And we're a bunch of Hoopleheads. And we're joined by our very special smiling Leviathan. His name is Will. Welcome back. <laughs> hello, hello. Thanks for having me back. You can hear the smile in his voice. <laughs> I'm carrying a kind of plague right now, so I may be coughing a lot or whatnot. Oh, that's awful. Oh, yeah. this it happens. <laughs> we're af- we're afraid that Mel had killed you because we you, we haven't gotten feedback from you uh, all season. No, I've been. Oh, it's just one thing or another. I've just. I've wait. I did some feedback once. I think like really early on in the season. But it's weird. The episode that I got behind again on was the one where the uh, theater troupe showed up. And I was kind of dreading them showing up because I knew I remember that being my least favorite part of the entire series. <laughs> yeah, that's not surprising. That's a lot of people's least favorite part. Yeah, at least on your first uh, watch, like I don't mind them. I like there are certain parts of their storyline that I like, and parts that I don't like. I like them this episode, but we'll get into that. I thought Dan's fight with the captain happened like late in the season like one of the last two or three episodes but that was wrong <laughs> mm. and i don't really remember much that's happened since then so i'm wondering if i actually did finish watching deadwood <laughs> oh. oh okay maybe i didn't i think i'm pretty sure i did but who knows that would be strange to stop watching halfway through the last season yeah just that that theater troupe just killed him <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just couldn't continue after that <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we'll quickly move into our Reader's Theater today. Our reader is Stephanie. Not Stephanie Smith from Potential Cast, Redemption Cast. We don't, we, what, what is the, what's the Dawson's Creek one called? We don't want to wait. Not no, that Stephanie. <laughs> Stephanie Ed from Edcast, who we know from the Twin Peaks Festival. We mm. played Cards Against Humanity with her. Actually, we played this Twin Peaks oh. spinoff, yeah. Peaks Against Society. <laughs> oh, come on now. Hey, <laughs> It's fun. I mean, if you're, where else would it be good for except at the Twin Peaks Fest? That's true. <laughs> the following news items appeared in the Black Hills Daily Times December the 26th, 1877 and March 1st, 1879. The second social hop under the auspices of the Masonic and Oddfellow Stock Association will be given in Mays Hall this evening. The floor has been carefully waxed and is now in the very best condition. The proprietors of the Palace Restaurant are exerting themselves to prepare the best supper ever set in the hills. Gandalf's superb orchestra will furnish the music. But little more need be said unless it be that every precaution will be taken to exclude improper characters and to render the event in every way the most delightful of the season. The management will endeavor to prevent the filling up of programs by a few acquainted persons to the exclusion of strangers, and to this end will declare invalid engagements made over three dancers in advance. The Metropolitan Company will present a grand comedy bill tonight. A Happy Pain will be presented for the first time in this city, and Salon Shingle and A Kiss in the Dark concludes the bill. A full house should be present just so. Mr. Anderson... The popular landlord of the Checkered Front Restaurant set up one of the best Sunday dinners tomorrow ever available in the hills. Mr. Anderson is an old hand in the hotel business and knows how to tickle the palate of an epic here. The Masquerade Ball 
The masquerade given under the auspices of the Pleasant Hours Club last evening was a decided success and the most recherche party of the season. The attendance was very large, both as spectators and participants. We were unable to get all the names of the maskers, but among them were Mr. E. H. Hurlbut as General Washington, one of the best. Mr. Worth as Topsy was inimitable and created much amusement with her impish pranks. The old lady was admirably personated by Miss McNamara, who preserved her incognito until the time for unmasking. Mr. Bent in Harlequin suit was immense. Mrs. Adams was a Spanish lady of high degree. Mrs. Shotwell, a coquettish skating girl. Mrs. Liebman in a valentine dress, which was very unique. Miss Hattie L. Warner was tastefully attired in a rosebud costume. <laughs> Miss Laura Wagner made a lovely Scotch lassie. Night, worn by Mrs. Worth, was a beautiful costume. Morning, Miss Bolson, was also good. Mr. S.N. Wood, in black domino. Mrs. Both, in an elegant costume of Pocahontas. C.H. Baston made a handsome Othello. Frank Loveland, in gorgeous court dress. Mr. Lilenthal capitally represented John Chinaman. The sanguine prospector, Mr. Hawley. The Irishman, Mr. Flaherty. The rosy-cheeked Irish girl proved to be Miss Webster. Social butterflies. Uh, <laughs> um, Irishman. <laughs> she has a great uh, reading voice. Oh, yeah. yeah, fantastic voice. Beautifully done. Also, did she say Gandalf? Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the wizard Gandalf is the conductor of the orchestra in Deadwood, yes. Oh. They were ahead of their time since it hadn't <laughs> Tolkien hadn't written it. That, yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> The plays that were performed in the hills, I was able to find copies of Salon Shingle, also known as The People's Lawyer, and A Kiss in the Dark, which is a one-act farce. And I stayed up till 1 a.m. last night reading A Kiss in the Dark. Yeah. It was pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> wonder, wonder how many of the townsfolk actually went to these plays. They don't seem like a cultured people in Deadwood. That's why. Probably why they did junky stuff that they could do a lot of uh, crazy farce in that would they would add like I'm sure all kinds of really rude jokes and stuff like that. I was gonna say it's probably just all fart jokes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah probably, <laughs> probably. This one wasn't. This this was about a um, a man who is who is married to a woman. And he's very insecure. Doesn't understand why she's with him because he's unattractive <laughs> and his his more attractive friend comes to visit he's been away he's been abroad he comes back bringing like news of the world and like souvenirs of his travels and he gives them to his wife and why is she with me and not with this guy and so he asks his friend hey do me a favor let's put her to the test you hit on her and i'll watch and i'll see what happens okay. so he so he's watching them like kind of like get romantic and she kisses his friend in the dark it's a kiss in the dark and he interrupts them and then he is like i'm gonna have to kill these people <laughs> so this woman comes in and he grabs me he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna kill you my dear and and we'll be together in death and and the friend's like no that's my wife I was married. I got married, secretly married, and and the hu husband's wife is says, "Oh, I knew you were testing me. So that's why I really like put poured it on, like silly husband." And he's like, "Oh, I am so silly." <laughs> and that's that was the play. 
so clever. Bravo. <laughs> Encore. Yes. Yeah, that act, that sounds like a lot of, you know, storylines from that I've read from like It just sounds long like maybe ago. it could be like days of our lives or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this is not an uncommon like little bits and pieces of it I've I've run into in other plays, you know. It's like a little bit from this one and a little bit from that one and we put it all together and hey, we have a play. Imagine doing these things, you know, like eight performances a week. It's not fun. I, I remember being in Summerstock and doing a farce that was not very good. And uh, every now and then an actor would just kind of come off and say, I went to college for four years <laughs> to learn to do this. And they'd just be kind of shaking their heads. Uh, yeah. You do what brings in the crowds. Yeah, it requires characters not acting like people and making leaps mm -hmm. of logic and assumptions that normal people wouldn't make. Yeah. And that's what drives the, the farce. And that's why right. I find them very tiresome because it's like, there's nothing real about this. Yeah. This is just really, this is just stupid people doing stupid shit. Hey, speaking of soap operas, I remember <laughs> Young and the Restless had a masquerade ball. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty uh, amazing. See, David Kimball, he wanted to kill uh, Nina and uh, Christine and Danny Romilotti. And he cornered them at the masquerade ball and he shot all three of them. But little did he know that his bullets were replaced with wax bullets. Wax. Oh, that's oh, different. Yeah. yeah. That, made it, that made it totally original. Yeah. There's a blog of... Deadwood articles, like newspaper headlines, it's one of my resources that I used when I got these articles from the Deadwood Library. Just it was sort of an index of headlines, and there were a lot about masquerade balls. Mm -hmm. This was a big thing in Deadwood. Mm. They were very popular way back when. Well, it's a, a way to feel sophisticated and aristocratic. Yeah. Also, who doesn't like to dress up? I don't. No, really. No, no. Not a Halloween person? No, dressing up as for children. No. <laughs> Who could Matt cosplay it? Really? You wouldn't even want to like dress up as like a Deadwood character? No. Really? No. Be I have like, no desire to do that. But you like the outfits so much. I dread Halloween. Every year I dread Halloween. But you don't have to dress up. They, you know, people put pressure on you to dress up. It's oh. like everyone will dress up and then you'll be the one who doesn't dress up. Hmm. And I really hate it. Oh. And also, my work has always like had these like costume contests. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like I don't want to participate. That's kind I of I don't like it. Anyway, that's just me. It's kind of lame that they force you to do it at work, though. I don't think you should have to. Right. Well, I'm not a fan of mixing work and fun. Anyway, <laughs> work should be work, <laughs> and fun should be fun. Like, let me let me just leave on time so I can do my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I would prefer. I like to keep keep my worlds separate. Maybe uh, this year, though, I will represent John Chinaman. Because that's not horribly <laughs> racist. <laughs> uh, or, or probably, if you did that, they'd never ask you to participate ever again. That's true. <laughs> of course, they may not ask you to work there ever again either. But that's a yeah. whole other thing. Or I'll be maybe I'll be like Mrs. Worth as, and I'll impersonate Topsy and create much amusement with my impish pranks. <laughs> I'm assuming that Topsy is Topsy the elephant. Topsy, an elephant at Luna Park on Coney Island, who was killed. In January 1903. When did this take place? This I didn't get the date, and I can't seem to access okay. the transcript. Well, this was 1879, and the elephant was put to death in 1903, so it 
it was probably alive and in Coney Island at the time. It's possible. If you want to watch video of Topsy being electrocuted, you can go on YouTube. <laughs> they have footage of it. Yeah, it is there. Did you. they electrocute it on purpose? Yeah, it killed someone. Yeah, it, oh. it oh. had killed like three people over a three-month period. Oh, my. And um, But, I mean, it's, yeah, you have to, yeah, obviously, if an animal is dangerous, you have to put it down. But it was probably dangerous because it was in captivity and being exploited. And that's why it turned against its handlers. Yeah, probably. But they uh, poisoned it and uh, electrocuted it. Like they dosed, they dosed it with poison. Then they put a rope around its neck, and then they shocked it with uh, like electrodes. Oh my goodness! And it took it took ten seconds, and it, and the poor elephant fell over and died. And there's footage of it on YouTube. Oh my god! Yeah, Topsy the elephant slain by Thomas Edison. That was that's a myth. Oh okay. Um, I I think they asked Edison to research what it would take to electrocute an animal, and mm-hmm. so he he did some tests. And then eventually his like uh his research was put into the final deed for Topsy, but he wasn't there. How many elephants did he kill testing though? <laughs> I I don't know what, what he tested on. I don't know what he killed or why. Like I don't I don't know, but it, there is an episode of Bob's Burgers where Topsy the elephant falls in love with Thomas Edison. <laughs> That's random. It's it's pretty great. I will put the YouTube clip on on uh, our Facebook group. Um, there was also a Topsy that I believe was a little black girl in Uncle Tom's cabin. Okay. So the common saying, she grew like Topsy, or it grew like Topsy, comes from that character. And it could very well be that one, too. Okay. Well, yeah, that's obviously possible. They. Yeah. We, got, we have uh, Deadwood Citizens... Putting on yellow face, why not black face as well? Oh yeah, I would think. Um, but I'll take a look at when the elephant was. Not that it matters. No. I think it's time to move on. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but before we do, I will point out that we were left some favorable reviews on the Australian iTunes store. Oh, thank well, you. Well, thank you, Australia. Yes. While the users of the UK iTunes store can suck it long and suck it hard... We do love our Australian listeners. Uh, I will have to travel to the UK next. <laughs> My trip to Australia was obviously very persuasive. <laughs> very yeah, good. Right. So, uh, Where's My Shoe says, Entertaining and informative podcast. Five stars. Fun to listen to while ambulating across the thoroughfare. Even better than a can of peaches with unauthorized cinnamon. <laughs> Those peaches are damn good, so... And Ant79 says, where's the sixth star? The Hooplecast crew are champions. Fantastic listening, and I can't begin to emphasize just how much added value they provide to Deadwood, and they do it through a seemingly effortless approach that just manages to get that right balance of wit, insight, and humor. If I could give it six stars, I would. Oh, thank oh, you. Thank wow. you. Thank you, both of you. Oh, wow. Love it. feel good about myself. Good. <laughs> you should. <laughs> And if Matt seems distracted, this recording listeners, it's because he's looking for scoops on the E3 press conferences that are happening right now. He's he's probably has a stream up and he's he's watching it. It's over. Well, but Bethesda is gonna do theirs pretty soon, right? I don't know, and, and, and I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up. <laughs> 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 mm.
This is episode 32, Leviathan Smiles, written by Kem Nunn, directed by Ed Bianchi, original air date July 30th, 2006. Merrick and Blazanoff leave their offices on what seems like a dreary morning. They are delivering papers to all the businesses in Deadwood. Johnny is still teaching the whore Jen to read. Do they get paid for this? It looks like they just left free papers. Well, usually, think, I would think of it like a paperboy type thing, where you they paid, like, have a subscription. Or... Yeah. yeah. I, my question was, well, two questions. One, was that usual for them to do that, or, or was this like a special thing? Because I almost got the feeling like they were sneaking around, but at the same time, they were, he had it pretty well decided, like he was counting how many go here and how many go there, and uh, and all of that. And my second question is, so you, do you think Richardson can actually read, or Looks was like he it. just looking at the pictures, <laughs> such looked as they were? Looked like he was reading to me. I don't know. Yeah, it did look like he was reading. Maybe he can read certain words. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt they have comics then. Maybe they did. <laughs> He's looking for the junior jumble. <laughs> they would have had uh, political cartoons, probably, but I don't know about uh, comic strips. I loved Richardson's little bowing. Oh, yeah. He's so well, deferential to his betters. What's his name? Um, the the Eastern European guy bowed first, I think. They all bowed. It was very he cute. He saw Richardson, and he bowed. So Richardson bowed back. So the newspaper man bowed. So Richardson bowed back. <laughs> <laughs> Blazanov. Blazanov, thank Blazanov. I wish he would still use that voice. Good morning. <laughs> It's not so typical to see the thoroughfare so empty, though back at the beginning of the season when we had um, the drunk Hoople who climbed upon the hustings and then fell over, like it was pretty mm-hmm. dead dead at that point. But I like seeing the camp like this. I love, I love this whole beginning because it's like overcast, it's windy, it's very ominous, it's gray and empty, and it's sort of like the calm before the storm kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the... The mood that they set. It looked peaceful. I like the morning, but I do not like getting up. <laughs> but if somebody <laughs> makes me get up, I enjoy the morning. <laughs> I know that feeling. A man of contradictions. Yep. All I could think of the, during this scene was how squishy their shoes must be. Ugh. Oh, yeah. And what's in those puddles? Yeah. Oh, it's probably 50-50 mud and shit. Probably. Don't forget the urine. It's probably really yeah. good compost. put that on your garden stuff will grow that's probably what they do for the kids garden they probably just grab the mud from the street and just dump it in oh with their hands their bare hands bare hands they didn't have gardening gloves back then and then they (laughs) and then they eat sandwiches with them (laughs) you've got grimy fingernails oh no thank you (laughs) seth is more bothered than martha as to when the school is to be relocated. She sees no use in quarreling with the theater people and thinks Seth awakes to quarrel. He begs her forgiveness, first sarcastically, then sincerely. Oh. Yeah, that was kind of cute. I, I just thought he was like, why is he freaking out so much about this? He's, he's just a, stressed. He's a rageaholic. He's stressed he's about the letter. Yeah, he's stressed about the whole thing with Hearst. Yeah, but I mean... It has nothing to do with... with yeah. It's his fault. Yeah. He wanted Let to publish Martha. that letter. Yeah. I'm glad what Martha you- called him out on it, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you're a dick. Why are you being such a dick? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he snaps at Saul as they ambulate down the thoroughfare. Mm. Yeah. Saul knows how to deal with him. 
And I put in my notes, what the hell, Seth? <laughs> yeah. He snaps at everybody he loves. I snap because I love. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just glad he's not, like, physically abusive or anything. Yeah. Well, he is to bad guys. Yeah, bad guys. That's who, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. Still, he was acting like a real twerp. Yeah. 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 He was being a jerk. Yeah. No two ways back. At least he realizes it, I guess. So. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely realizes it. Yeah. I don't mind it when he's being angry at people who deserve it, like EB, but I don't like it when he's angry at his friends and his wife. Yeah. It's like, because they're nice and forgiving, he can get away with it. Like, that's not a good reason to be a jerk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they do all... One thing all of his friends have in common is that they all call him out on it in different ways. And, <laughs> you know, and then it's obvious that he feels like a jerk about it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, they don't let him get away with it. They just, you know, they just deal with it and point out like when Saul said, well, that's a quote, so never mind. <laughs> <laughs> never mind. For our miscellaneous prediction, we were counting the number of horses this episode. I counted one as Seth and Saul were walking down the thoroughfare. It just kind of goes behind them very briefly. But it was in the shot, so I'm counting it. This episode even- there's a lot of horses, actually, this well, episode. there's a lot of one Yeah, of really. There's a lot of one horse. So no, I guess, at the oh, end. at the end, a lot of people come in. There's like true. 20 horses coming Damn, in. Damn, I think I lose. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's a hero sh- There's a hero horse. You don't often get, like, focus on Right, right. The horse that, almost has lines. You that mean, horse <laughs> actor was amazing. Yeah. Into it. yeah. <laughs> you mean the horse that kicks Steve in the face? Yes. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. He might be my character of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Let's name him Comet. <laughs> I like oh. it. I like it. <laughs> That's a Adventures of Briscoe County Jr. reference, uh, listeners, yeah. if you don't. I'm talking a lot to the listeners right now. <laughs> I'm trying to bring them into the conversation. You should you should provide a commentary for this episode separately. <laughs> like for, not for the episode of Deadwood, for the episode of Hooplecast. <laughs> yes. I'm, well, I'm glad you're mentioning it because I, I didn't realize that was... I don't, I'm sure I saw Briscoe County Jr., but I don't remember it, so maybe I didn't see it. Well, if you didn't, there's a podcast out there about it. Well, then I should go look for that. You should. Yeah. A stagecoach and two riders come into the camp. The riders are firing guns, or someone's firing guns. They inform the sheriff that road agents tried to ambush them, but the brothers Earp scared them off. This is Wyatt Earp, who was a lawman in Dodge City in Wichita, and his brother Morgan Earp, and they intend to work a timber lease. Al wants to buy Wyatt a drink. E.B. asks Seth if he should care for the horses. As a gesture from the mayor, Seth ignores him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is this historical? Yes. Did they, co- did they come here? Yeah? Yes, they did. Oh, really? Uh, yep. Uh, I will read some background information. Wyatt Earp being in Deadwood is one of the least known parts of his entire career. Earp told his biographer, Stuart Lake, that he and his brother Morgan left Dodge City, Kansas on September 9th, 1876, destined for Deadwood in the Dakota Territory. Wyatt came in the fall of 1876 and stayed all winter. Reportedly, Morgan Earp left Deadwood before the onset of winter and returned to Dodge City. Earp was attracted to Deadwood because it was a booming gold town, and that's what he was about. But the good mining claims had been snapped up quickly, and Wyatt Earp turned his thoughts to perhaps becoming the sheriff. However, Seth Bullock already had the job nailed down, and there wasn't enough room in Deadwood for both those lawmen. According to Ken Keller, Seth Bullock's grandson, Wyatt Earp and his grandfather had a showdown, where Earp was convinced his services were not needed to enforce the law in Deadwood, 
being too late to acquire a gold mining claim or obtain a law enforcement position, Wyatt Earp was led to consider another opportunity. With winter approaching, he knew there would be demand for firewood. With an abundance of fallen trees throughout the area, Wyatt spent the winter chopping firewood for a considerable profit. Hmm. And he told his biographer that uh, by the time spring came, he had made a profit of about $5,000. Whoa. Which is, well, yeah, but that's pittance. Al Swearingen's raking that in, like, nightly. Yeah, but Al is not a, you know, not an average guy. If the average guy could just chop a bunch of firewood and make that much money. That was a lot of money in those days. He says, I could haul four loads a day, sometimes five, which meant eight or ten cords daily. I sold it in Deadwood at $12 a cord. Cash in hand before unloading, every haul was contracted for in advance, and many a time I have driven down the main street of the camp with men running alongside, bidding 20 30 and even $50 a cord for what I was obligated to sell at my regular price to someone to whom I had promised delivery. For special night hauls, I charged stiff premiums. Once a man routed me out of my blankets for wood to keep a big <laughs> poker game going until morning, he paid $100 a cord and $10 for my helper. The thermometer was at 40 below zero that night, and there was a 40-mile northwest wind howling. I didn't gamble that much that winter. I delivered wood seven days a week, and when night came, I wanted to sleep. But I was young and tough, so were my horses, and we came through to spring in fine shape physically with a profit of about $5,000. Yeah, I was going to say, he must have got ripped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, really. Interesting thing that has nothing to do with anything. Uh, My mother... When my mother was a kid, the I kept hearing about the Arps that lived across the street, and I, I met them and stuff over the years. And it wasn't until years later that my mom mentioned, oh, yeah, they're relatives of you know Wyatt and Morgan and all. And I said, who? Arp. The Arps. How do you spell their name? E-A-R-P. Oh, so she just oh. mispronounced their name? Well, I mean, apparently that part of the family called themselves Arp as opposed to Erp. Oh, that's and strange. I do remember reading about the Erps and the fact that people would make fun of his name, like, like say it as though they were burping or something. Mm. And he would get really, really annoyed. How can you not? Yeah. So, um, the, the, uh, it may be that the other part of the family decided to avoid all that and call themselves, you know, Arp. But, uh, yeah, they lived catacombered from my. <laughs> yeah, my, but Arp sounds a lot like Parp. Yeah, I, I have don't know what that is. You can make fun. What? What? Harp? Harp? Oh, harp, as in H A R P? No, as in no. harp. Where have you been? Where have you been this whole time? Hey, she's the one who's not paying attention, man. Get her! What? Get her! What? Harp was how they were teasing the Cornishmen. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Sorry. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, well, you know, I guess. When it comes right down to it, people are going to make fun of your name or your whatever. But, Carol, yeah, so. Carol's watching E3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm doing. Uh-huh. In that uh, Gunslingers episode about Seth Bullock, they did mention Wyatt coming to town. He there's It's very brief. Wyatt says, I want to be the sheriff. And Seth's like, I'm already the sheriff. Well, all right then. Goodbye. it's not much of a showdown and that's how they and that's how they dramatize that and you know morgan earp he was a lawman too he was like a deputy or a police officer a a peace officer he was not this i don't know how to describe skeezy juvenile kind of loser like he's portrayed in the show he was just a younger younger than his brother but 
from all accounts, he was a normal stand-up guy, so... Damn, their dramatic license. Yeah. Uh, the actors who play Wyatt and Morgan, the actor who plays Wyatt is Gail Harold, who's probably yes, best known for 83 episodes of Queer as Folk. Yes, I love that show. Well, the first four seasons, I never saw the last season. Mm, is this a pattern? Mm, seems to be. <laughs> I just give up on shows. We'll just lax follow through. Dude, so I've seen him in a bunch of stuff since then. I know he was on this. He was the lead on this show on Fox called Vanish, like back when every network tried to do their own serial show. And they killed him off after like eight episodes, even though he was the lead. And one of the rumors going around was that he was just such a pain in the ass to work with that they just had to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> he was on Desperate Housewives first season. And the actor who plays Morgan is Austin Nichols. He goes on to play the titular John in the Deadwood follow-up by David Milch, John from Cincinnati. He's currently on The Walking Dead, which is a show that I am told people watch. Who's he play? Um, He was, was he that lady's son in, um, that, the, how to describe it very well. I think he's her, the son of the lady who was in charge of the town that they went to. He's not too young. To he be plays seen. Spencer Monroe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right. That's him. He's been on 20 episodes, according to the IMDb, but I stopped watching that. I stopped watching, like, second season. Something like that. Third third season, I guess. Either of these two people's from Twin Peaks, Matt. What gives? <laughs> that person's coming. It's going to be coming. like one of those guys on the horses. Yeah. The whole parade of new characters who came in. Yeah, again. they're all from Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to meet them all. <laughs> Once again, we are counting the number of horses in this episode. I counted four pulling the stagecoach, the two that the Earps are riding, and two in the background for a total of eight. Wow. Damn. Add that to the other one in the previous scene, and we're up to nine already. Wow. I think I said yeah. Like two. Yeah, I think you did. Yeah, we said like <laughs> two, three, five, something like that. So whoever got the highest number wins. I can't remember when. I don't I think there's usually this many horses in an episode. <laughs> Joni wakes Jane up. Joni is off to find fruit to make the kids snacks. She wants Jane to stay, but Jane insists on leaving. So did they? Did they sleep together and then and then Sle- sleep separately? And then they slept slept separately. Yeah, like she on the floor and one on the bed. That well, seems you know? like what happened. I mean, Jane is certainly acting weird, awkward. Yeah, yeah very awkward. Mm-hmm. And. and uh, and the guy who runs the place must have heard something because he's ready with his, his Bible verse. <laughs> yes, he is. That's our good friend Shaughnessy. Yeah. He berates them for unclean acts in his hotel room, citing Romans 1, verses 24 through 26. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. God, fuck you, Bible. <laughs> Anyways, um... Matt says, fuck you, Bible, while Carol is Skyping from a church. <laughs> this is true. 
This is true. Goes around. <laughs> to hear that. <laughs> but yeah, now he's probably like, oh, now I gotta burn this room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once again, I'll, I'll let me talk to the listeners. Yeah. Carol's electricity went out of her house, so she had to go to her church, watch Deadwood, and Skype from her church because she is a real trooper. Admittedly, I was sitting out on the porch uh, when I was watching Deadwood, if that makes it any better. But now I'm sitting, I am sitting in the middle of the sanctuary, actually behind the pulpit right now. That's pretty amazing. You know, because that's where the best Wi-Fi is. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So this is Jane's usual M.O., resist, resisting affection and domesticity. Yeah. Yep. I hate to see it, but I'm not surprised. Yeah. Well, also, do you think any of it has to do with, you know, um, sexual, like, shame or anything like that? She has all the shames. Yeah. Do you think sex- it's anything to do with, but with, you know, being involved with another woman, that whole thing? Well, she had to get drunk before she was finally ready to act on her desires. Yeah. And now she's sober and she's probably confused mm-hmm. and afraid. Well, when, too, when people tell you what you did there is wrong, you know, of course you're going to feel ashamed. Like, like you don't want people to, to judge you, right? Mm. I don't know. Somebody like Shaughnessy yells at you, you might think that you're doing something right. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But I mean, yeah. like. Him, like, you know, like, just proclaiming that and basically telling everybody in the thoroughfare that, you yeah, know... I'm sure lots of people agree with him. Yeah, exactly. And I know Jane says she doesn't give a fuck, but, you know, you still mm-hmm. gotta fuck a little bit when everybody's saying what you did there wrong. <laughs> yeah, plus Jane likes to seem very tough and, and like, she doesn't care what people think and all of that, but she protests this a little much. Mm, yeah. I can't speak today. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got God over your shoulder right now, <laughs> listening to everything you say. <laughs> You're in his house. <laughs> <laughs> Steve rescinds his job offer to General Fields and says that if Fields did stay, he'd probably want his name on the sign, and that's never going to happen. But if that did happen, they know the truth themselves, that they will never be equals. And I and this is actually one of the rare instances that I agree with Steve because I don't think they're ever going to be equals because General Fields is far superior to Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Almost all of humanity is. Yes. I just wrote down that they could have spent the entire episode on this and I would have been happy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. A little bit of Steve goes a long way. <laughs> It's really like he's really feels like uh, overly self-conscious about his hatred, mm-hmm. you know? I think he's just so incredibly insecure. He is so, he knows that he is the bottom of the barrel of yeah. humanity. And he <laughs> just wants so badly to feel better than somebody, mm. you know, that he just, and the more he looks at other people. He knows he needs the general. He said himself that he doesn't know, apparently, how to keep records. Right. So, he may even be so illiterate. he knows he needs them. Yeah. yeah, he might very well be. Or if not illiterate, he might just have absolutely no clue about, you know, where to start on, on any kind of on record. A, 
Yeah, managing yeah. accounts and keeping track of money and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. he calls he he refers to Hostetler's voodoo ciphering methods. Like yeah. <laughs> he just like it baffles him that Hostetler might have known how to read numbers or like you know read it all. Like mm. <laughs> yes, yeah. But but if he puts it in terms of voodoo, then it makes it okay that someone who is not white knows how to do something because it's not because they're educated and know something he doesn't. It's because they're magical. Yes. <laughs> and I also think he, he's lonely. I think he's, he's isolated so many oh, people yeah. with his rhetoric that he's lonely and he's kind of used to the general. And so he's like, well, maybe you can be my friend and coworker. And that's why he conspires yeah. with the horse to hide uh, its saddle. Then Fields won't be able to leave. It's his own. It's his own uh, unique way of asking him to stay. And yeah, be friends. But then he and treats him like shit. Yeah, like, he's just uh... not capable of. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, he really isn't. He he really turned into like a cartoon character in this scene, though, where he was talking to the horse. I was like, he's going like the actor is like going over the top as, as like he's Steve times ten. <laughs> It was hilarious, though. <laughs> I, I, I was actually worried that he was going to work himself around to to shooting the horse. Oh God! No I comment. really thought happened too. Like I thought he was going to do something bad to the horse. He yeah, arm the horse. He was going to take the sh- the horseshoes off, which would have been bad for the horse in the long run. Yeah, he was. Get- well, then he was going to say, "Up, oh, see, you can't ride oh, with I the horseshoes off the horse." Yeah, Maybe but I mean that was his plan. Yeah. Yeah. Up oh, your horse threw a shoe. You can't go. But yeah. then when the horse objected, I thought, uh oh, is he gonna turn on the horse? Mm-hmm. Says, oh, you're in it with him, and end up shooting him in the head because the guy was totally off the rails. Oh, I've got two notes that I forgot to bring up. One, I liked how Johnny was teaching that that lady to read. Mm-hmm. And two, there was a guy. <laughs> I did a double take because it looked like there was a guy crossing the thoroughfare with a pizza pocket on his plate. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Pizza pocket, <laughs> but it was it was just it was just a roll, <laughs> oh. like just a plain dinner roll. Yeah, that's <laughs> that is that's funny. Did you predict that the horse would kick Steve in the face? I thought. Well, I thought, thought that's it, what yeah. was going to happen, but then it didn't show it. Until- yeah, they didn't show it. I wonder why they didn't show it. I wonder if they. I wonder if they filmed it and then decided not to have it. It might have been too too much like horse violence. <laughs> they don't want to portray the horses in that bad of a light, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Trampled before uh, and that's been kicked. Is that the I same would... horse, by the way, that trampled? I don't think so. The kid? I doubt it. I don't yeah. think so. I think they killed the other horse. You think? I doubt it. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't remember, actually. Uh, you know what? what? They didn't say. I think it would be great if this was like a serial killer horse. <laughs> no, they did bring that. Ho- they brought the horse back. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, it, okay. They brought the horse back. Seth say something, because, or the or his or Martha say yeah. something about not hurting the horse. Don't hurt the yeah. horse. And then they and then yeah. the, um, the general kind of cursed the horse. Huh? Maybe yeah. this is the same horse. It's. I don't think so because wasn't that horse kind of? Oh no! Wait a minute. He was. was he got black. all upset because they were. Yeah, yeah. I thought okay. so too. No, well, maybe they're in cahoots. I think it's the same horse. Okay. I think the horse has a vendetta. Yes, exactly. <laughs> they were going to castrate the horse. That's why he went running, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just it just makes me think it's the same horse because he's so spirited. He keeps kicking and he keeps you know being like just you know a bad horse. 
I love the bad horse. Speaking of uh, horses, we were counting how many this episode. There is Steve's scene partner in the livery, you know, Comet, and one in the background behind Fields as he leaves. So we're up to 11. Um, this horse is the best actor in the whole show. <laughs> Steve's just talking. He's falling asleep. <laughs> you bore me, Steve. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, so good. <laughs> General Fields returns Aunt Lou's money. He can't wait on Odell any longer, but he reassures Aunt Lou that her son is smart and capable. She fixes him a meal for the road. Did we see Odell leave in the last episode? No, no, he hasn't left yet. Oh, okay. He no. just wasn't in, wasn't in this episode. Right. And Fields is saying, I can't wait for him. I have to go now. But thought... didn't, at the end, she indicated that he had already left. Yeah, she and he left behind that... That, that brooch. Or, whatever. or brooch. Yeah, explain that. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. Maybe he. Maybe he's leaving this afternoon. I don't know. I don't know the timeline. That is strange. Uh, it seems like he he left. Yeah, but you're right. Why would he say I can't wait anymore if he's already gone? Or maybe he left during the day. I wonder if it's a deleted scene because the screen cap that I was going to use, well, the set photo actually, I was going to use for my website is a of Aunt Lou and Odell, and they were not together in this episode. Hmm. So maybe they filmed it, and the set photographer took a photo of it, and they didn't end up using it. Yeah, using the scene. I don't know. Or could it be from a different episode, and they just labeled it wrong? Labeled it wrong. Yeah, maybe. The uh, the attack by the horse, or the kick by the horse. I could see that being this really hard to film without it looking like you know, like oh, let's have a horse leg here, you know, hitting <laughs> the guy. Really fake, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It could look really bad. So, mm. I, I don't know. This is an odd episode all around, I find. There's a lot of stuff we didn't see in this episode that happened <laughs> off camera, I guess. Yeah. We didn't see any Alma, we didn't see any Trixie. There's, yeah. They've got too many characters now. <laughs> There's just not enough time to devote to all of them. <laughs> yeah. Really. I want to say we're done adding characters at this point. I feel like... So that we- Twin Peaks character... <laughs> Oh, that's true. <laughs> and a, whole, a whole train of characters just came running in at the end of the episode. I'm sure there will be a new, like, Captain Turner. I was really surprised when Wyatt Earp and Morgan Earp showed up. I I wasn't expecting yeah. another famous, you know, Same. character. Same. Yeah. I mean, they that's were actually it. there during this time. Yeah, which I didn't know. But it is kind of like, what now? <laughs> like. Do we need them at this point? Yeah, it just seemed like a little bit like overdoing it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of the Earps, Al thinks Wyatt Earp's story is full of shit since road agents only operate in these hills with Al's permission. Al thinks the Earps falsified a story to make a hero's entrance into the camp, and Wyatt confirms that. Al tells him if anyone wants to hire his gun, Al will double their offer. That and the sheriff has supplies for his timber business at the hardware store. Dan wonders if Hurst will approach Wyatt Earp. Okay, mm-hmm. so this, I guess this is interesting because now all of a sudden they are a, a, perhaps an asset that either side can acquire. Mm-hmm, right. So, Hurst doesn't need them anymore. He's got a whole, whole, whole load of men. Yeah, but they didn't know that at this point. 
Yeah. Honestly, I had totally forgotten about Hearst when we were doing all this. Like it was like, oh yeah, Hearst. That's right. They've still got that problem. I have no idea why I'd forgotten about him when I started at the beginning of the episode. So. Rather surprising to hear that road agents are still operating at all under Al's direction because he seems like such a nice guy these days. Yeah. Why doesn't he think that there couldn't be new people in town that just want to go rob people? Like, how because would he stop he, stop people he, from doing that? Apparently, he's still got a he's still got pull. I mean, he's still got Dave. He's still got you know. By Dave, you mean Dan? Dan, I mean. Jeez, I'm bad shape. You're uh, missing everything you've ever learned about this show. I know, I know, <laughs> but I knew who I was talking about this time. Can you postpone uh, senility for like another four episodes? <laughs> I, I am trying. I am trying, but I'll tell you, it just keeps coming back, you know? <laughs> Soon as I think I've got it under control, there it comes again. All right. <laughs> so what were your impressions of the Earps when they wrote in? Other than, oh, God, here we go again, more characters. Yeah, yeah pretty much. I didn't like them. I was like, I thought these guys were supposed to be better than this. Yeah. My first thought was exactly what everybody thought. Before I knew that they were the Earps, uh, it was like, oh, yeah, that sounds suspicious. And then it, then they start saying Wyatt, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. Have we got, you know, because the Earps had a pretty shady, uh, shady reputation as to what side of the law they were actually on sometimes. They said Wyatt, and I was like, oh, it's, there's the Earps. There's I, only ever been one Wyatt. I totally in the rolled, yeah, I rolled my eyes as soon as they said Wyatt Earp. I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh. Yeah, as soon as they said Wyatt, it was, I agree. It was like, oh, okay, so we've got the Earps here? Okay. All right. But it does, by bringing that in, since they were there, it does give you this feeling like this is a crossroads. This is a happening place. Yeah. From that time, you know, it, it does give you that, that, uh, and obviously it was. I mean, you had a lot of famous people wandering through there, mm -hmm. trying to make their, their stake and make their money. And just like Langriche, they showed up in the, like, late fall of 1876, when this show started. They, sh they, the Earps were there right after Bill Hickok was killed. But the Deadwood, the show, has delayed their appearance for, till season three because they didn't want. I, I think because they didn't want to overstuff the show at the beginning when you were trying to still figure figure it out. Yeah, and how many famous people can you have in one town in one show at the very very beginning? I mean, it's it's a lot. Yep. But this was like the town was like a lightning rod for mm -hmm. every notable person, and that's the what. You know, a lot of these towns were, you know, that's why there are ghost towns and stuff out there. Because, you know, it'd be like these towns would, some strike would happen. Everybody would go running to this town for, you know, to see what they could get out of it. And then it would play out and that would be the end of it and everybody would leave. Fields has some nice things to say about Aunt Lou. Good cooking, big hearted, and she understands how the wicked live. Drunk before noon. Like our friend Steve here, who is slumped over on the ground. Bleeding from the head? What? Mm. And then he slumps over. Did you guys think, oh my god, he's dead? That shocked me. Yeah, I thought he was done for, pretty much. He's mm. probably was, done for. Yeah. <laughs> I, was I, was like, I was like, the general's gonna get blamed for his death. Yeah, I was worried about that, too. Mm. I was worried about that, too. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. This is weird, but again, it was like, 
you know, family connection. I all I can think of is, oh yeah, that's how my great grandfather died. <laughs> oh really? Kicked by a horse? Yeah, yeah. He was a blacksmith, or my great great grandfather. He was, <laughs> yeah. He was a. This is all my Oklahoma relatives. Um, <laughs> you know, the Arps and everybody else, Oklahoma relatives. But wow. uh, yeah, apparently he was a blacksmith and he got kicked in the chest by a horse. Jeez. And died. Fucking horses. Yep. I almost got kicked by a horse one time. I like barely, I like jumped back and it like barely missed kicking me in the chest by just a few inches. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That was so, scary. Yeah. Yeah. Never been on a horse since, a near horse. Mm-hmm. The worst that's ever happened to me is I was watching a horse run around a small corral and he, every time he like pivoted on the spot and turned direction, he would do it right in front of me. And every time he did it, he farted. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> 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 and nice. you survived? I survived somehow. <laughs> he tried it out. Yeah, like three times. He's like running around in a circle. He'd get to where I am, then he'd like do a pivot, go back the other way, but he'd also go. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Just, did, did he spray you with anything? Oh, thankfully. <laughs> anything solid? <laughs> or, li- or liquid? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Um, still counting horses. There were two during the background during Fields' soliloquy. Is that the same horses, though? They went behind him. No, they look different. Oh, okay. It's just, and they're just in the background. I don't know. Uh, you it, picked maybe, one for yourself. Maybe, Matt, maybe all horses look the same to you, and you're just counting the very same horse over and over again. <laughs> I'm looking at the riders, too. The people on top of them. And... Okay. <laughs> so we're up to 13. That's a lot of horses. It's a lot of horses. Downstairs in the gem, Morgan is chatting with Jen. That's the whore who he was teaching to read. Wyatt drags Morgan away, hands him some money, sends him to buy supplies at the hardware store. The second phase of Wyatt's plan lies at the Bella Union. Yeah. I don't know what that's what about. What is this guy's plan? What is he up to? Oh, and one of my notes is Morgan has really white teeth. <laughs> <laughs> You wouldn't think they would have such good teeth back then. And did you see how closely Johnny was watching Morgan with Jen? It's because he likes her. Yeah. Yeah. Jen is his Trixie. Ooh. (laughs) Hopefully he never steps on her neck. (laughs) Hurst questions Merrick about the letter. Was it designed to embarrass or reproach him? Merrick attempts to be majestically neutral, but Hurst implies cowardice and threatens him. Merrick handled himself well. Yeah. I thought so, too. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He didn't crumple into a sobbing heap. Oh, go easy on me. (laughs) Yep. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) They made me do it. But, you know, couldn't have Hurst, like, if you wanted to retort, couldn't he have simply just written a reply letter? Like, you know. Just start a rival newspaper. Yeah. His family gets into that business anyways. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, what kind Maybe of that's why rebuttal would he send? Because, yeah. Well, I mean, they were notorious for control using their newspapers to do things like start wars, so they would sell no, more newspapers. Yeah. So, he could write an article saying, you know, um, what was his name? Pasco? Pasco the Cornishman was killed because of, uh, like, politics in the camp. Because the people who control the Deadwood are nefarious and out of control, and that's why they could have blamed the the guy's death somehow on Al and Seth and everyone else. Yeah, 
Yeah, but yeah. would he have looked like he was being cold-hearted to you? You have, you know, if he took a really soft approach, I think he could have gotten away with it. And he's a soft kind of a guy. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just don't think he necessarily would even know how. Yeah. To, to somebody else could have done. Yeah, somebody else could have done it for him, but they would have had to convince him that it was the way to go. Because he's, I get the feeling if it doesn't involve a direct approach, he's not going to think it's valuable or worthwhile. But someone asked, what, what kind of letter could he write in the paper? And I'm saying yeah. that's the kind of letter he could. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just turn it, turn it around, yeah. Yeah, I was the one. But yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't pick on Merrick. He's He's big, but he's. Like a gentle giant. Well, it's one of the one of the dangers of being a newspaper person. Yeah. Wyatt is throwing the bones at the Bella Union. He tells Cy that he and Morgan are in Deadwood to work a timber lease, which Cy thinks makes his earlier escapades regarding the road agents even more remarkable. Wyatt implies that he is familiar with guns. Yes. So even Cy knows that Wyatt is lying about the road agents. Well. They probably have heard... Lots of hoopals. They they come in boasting about saving stagecoaches from road agents. It's probably happened many times. And they're just, Al and Cy are just used to it. Yeah, I think they're just very savvy guys in general. You know, they know what's what. Mm -hmm. They know a scam when they see it. Yeah. Well, they have experience. Yep. They've been in camp a while. They know how things roll. Yep. And did Wyatt say, oh, it was my brother's idea? (laughs) I... No, he said it's his idea, didn't he? Yeah, that's um, what he did say. Yeah. He he took he took responsibility for okay, it himself. Okay, I was going to say because brother's idea because it's hard for me to believe that Wyatt would allow himself to be talked into something that his brother suggested. No, he said it was his idea, not Wyatt's idea, and not, not uh, Morgan's, Morgan's idea. Okay, not Morgan's idea. Okay, yeah, that tracks. I'm pretty sure. So, do you think that they're in town just to work the timber lease, or is it something else? No, no, he's got he's got a couple different things going on. Okay. Chesterton claims he is ready to cross the road to the theater. He coughs and rolls on his side, telling Jack that he is the producer, that Jack is the producer, and he'll manage. Don't care about these yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of zoned out whenever they were on the screen. I like their later scene, though. I did like their later scene, yeah. Yeah. Just because the actors are good, but I didn't really want to see it. <laughs> like, we didn't need it. The actors were excellent. Well, I, I, th- I mean, I truly do believe that it was only there to give. So that, you know, uh, the writer, producer, the, you know, who wrote it could see these two actors do that scene. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but it was, they were really good. Well, I think this is all about Jack's character. It's not about Chesterton. Jack is afraid, oh, yeah. of, is afraid of death, it seems. it's He's afraid of Chesterton dying because he's always making excuses. Like before... It, uh, he couldn't move Chesterton because it was too drafty. Now it's the thoroughfare full of ruts, sinkholes, and quick slimes. It's he's coming up with these excuses not to move the guy. Yeah, because he doesn't want to see his friend die. He's like afraid of death. And uh, Bellegard, Gingerbum is like the op is kind of the opposite. Oh, sort okay. of, sort of like I'm. Is this guy dead yet? Yeah. Well, I want to. I'm here to put on a play. He's got other problems. Hmm. He seems like he, he seems really useless, Bellegarde. Like I don't know, he's kind of a dandy. Yeah, yeah. But it's just like 
I don't know. He just doesn't seem to know much. Doesn't seem to have much common sense. I don't know. He probably, you know, plays characters that, you know, are easy on the eyes and, you know. (laughs) What a stud. (laughs) You know, just, no, you know, pretty. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's pretty and that's probably why they keep him around because he can, you know, he can do those characters and and well, he's very foppish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's not exactly the one you want around to actually help you with anything. But uh, yeah. So Jack goes out into the hallway, and this is when he spots George Hurst and gives Hurst advice on back pains. Cold water dousing will only contract the muscles that spasm make things worse. He has a remedy for Hurst, taught to him by a former Odobashi of the Turkish artillery, come himself to be afflicted through chronic lifting of cast iron cannonballs. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Sounds like bullshit. Yep. Yeah, I was wondering whether he was, you know, like doing basically a psychological thing with the guy or whether he actually had some moves that would help. Still not sure. So naturally, I look up Odobashi because I want to know what that term meant. Mm-hmm. It means head of chamber, the page of highest rank, a corporal of the Janissaries, which was an elite infantry unit formed by the Ottoman sultans uh, in 1383. They began as slaves made up of kidnapped young Christian boys and became famed for internal cohesion cemented by strict discipline and order. Kind of like the Unsullied from Game of Thrones. <laughs> <laughs> Just the, the sultans, troops, and bodyguards. And a great many Janissaries were killed by famed assassin Ezio Auditore de Firenze. That's according to the Assassin's Creed wiki. <laughs> right, so Jack was taught these exercises by a former Odobashi, and this was a military force back in 1383. Yeah, this is bullshit. <laughs> Hurst doesn't know that stuff. Was it just, well, was it, I mean, the this was the Ottoman Empire, right? Yeah. Because the Ottoman Empire continued through till the 20th century, didn't it? Um, active until 1826. Oh, I thought for some reason it went to, it was still going. Well, the Janissaries were, who are the elite oh. infantry units, I guess it says 1826. Oh, and, okay. And this is 1876. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah. An old man yeah. taught, taught Jack yeah. some... Uh, no, it's kind of, it sounds like bullshit. <laughs> it surprised me that Hurst fell for it so readily, though. Like, I feel like Desperate usually, people will fall for these. Yeah, but know. I feel yeah. like usually, yeah. usually he's so skeptical of everything. I, like he's he, very aware of his surroundings and when people are trying to play him. So Steve Jobs died. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, he, I mean, he did come off as kind of, you know, a... Um, I can talk to dead people. Who is your, you know, type thing? Oh, and that was someone like this guess, at that point. Like, yeah, yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, he came stuff. off that way, but he also there, there's a reason why people, you know, go for these things and went for them at the time. So, yes. you know, and Hearst was in a lot of pain, and they didn't have aspirin back then. No. Mm. I want to say that when George Hurst was introduced at the end of last season, that they even talked about his back pain. Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah so it's been, yeah. they foreshadowed this for a long time. This, mm-hmm. And I like that. I like that they 
anticipated that they're going to need this ailment and work it into the plot. Mm. Yeah, that's clever. Back at the Bella Union, White is losing at craps. Leon suggests he leave with some of his money, and Wyatt takes the good advice. This would be a good time to mention that Larry Cedar, who plays Leon, now follows the Twitter account of Hooplecast. Nice! Really? Yeah. Oh, how nice. I don't... At least uh, the person running Larry Cedar's Twitter account follows. (laughs) (laughs) Leon, our favorite character. Yes, we all love Leon so much. He's the best. <laughs> At the school, Martha offers to cancel the afternoon classes so Jack might show Chesterton the building. Jack loves the garden. He says it's beautiful. Aww. Now, this is, I have a, okay, this, actually, that comes later. Never mind. Go on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, w- were you about to comment on the number of horses in this scene? Because, no. yes, there was one horse in the foreground during Martha and Jack's conversation. And there may have been another, but it was so brief that I'm not going to count that one. So this brings our total up to 14. Johnny threatens Morgan with a shotgun. Morgan weaseled information out of Jen about her sister whoring at the Yellow Bird in Gunnison. Then Morgan said her sister owed him money, but Jen might settle the debt by fucking him for free. Johnny is hip to this and says Morgan owes him $7. Wyatt pays Johnny and berates Morgan for spending their money on things other than tools. Oh, that pun is not... Okay, somebody else make that. Mm. Matt just did. (laughs) Matt, say it again, because we missed it. I said he spent it on his tool. Yes, (laughs) there we go. Uh, Um, uh, Nice. (laughs) Nice done. um, I thought it was really interesting that this is the first time that Johnny has indicated that no one should think that he's that stupid. It was kind of ironic. Hmm. Johnny seems to be smarter this season. Well, well that, not that. less stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't have assumed he could read before before this season. Okay, <laughs> maybe he can't. Maybe he's giving her all wrong advice. <laughs> well, also when he reads, doesn't and he's reading to her. Doesn't he like read really slowly? And I don't think that's just because she won't be able to follow along if he didn't. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, he's probably got a very uh, low reading comprehension level, but but he knows more than she does. So exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So once she gets, you know, to first grade level, she's gonna have to find another tutor. <laughs> Either that, or they're gonna have to like help each other get better. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he'll have you know developed reading skills, better reading skills by then. Yeah. When Johnny's confronting Morgan, you can see in the background Dan readying a gun. He's preparing for violence. And earlier in Al's office, when Al was with Wyatt, he was unsheathing a knife. Yeah. Yeah, Dan's the guy you want to have in the background lurking, watching. Did Dan have any lines in this whole thing, or did he just lurk in the background with guns and knives and stuff getting ready to... I don't remember any lines. Seth accosts the herps in the street. Morgan acquired the tools, but he left them in a pile in a store without paying for them. <laughs> Seth says, pay for the tools. <laughs> and you could tell he wants to say more, but he restrains himself. Yeah, because they, <sighs> I mean, Seth and Wyatt are, you know, so close to going at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Wyatt, you know, I mean, he's he's ready to pick a fight, even when he knows that his brother was totally wrong. So... You know, he's standing up for his brother, 
and risking a fight with a guy that he can tell knows what he's doing, which is kind of interesting. One of the transcripts for this episode describes Morgan as looking like the dumb hyena from The Lion King. (laughs) (laughs) He does! He totally does. Why does Scar and Morgan is one of the hyenas? (laughs) I liked American Blazanoff watching through the window. Oh, yeah. I I went back, I, I rewound it to see, once he, Blaznov, you know, shows um, Merrick a piece of paper, and I was like, was he holding that up in the window, or is that, are we supposed to know what was on that? But no, it's just random. Hmm. There are three horses that pass behind <laughs> Seth as he confronts the horse. Oh I do not envy you counting the horses. <laughs> Episode. Oh, we're up to 17. All right. Brief. <laughs> Sai has a plan for Hurst. The kid, meaning Wyatt, could accost Seth in public, then force Seth into a draw. If Seth loses, Hurst eliminates his threat. If the kid loses, then no harm done. Sai will be the public face of this arrangement, so Hurst is not implicated. Completely missed that they were planning this. Must have used too much flowery language. I did too. <laughs> uh, I don't. I did a poor job recapping that scene because I don't remember who he was plotting that to. Like, who was he talking to? to he was Hearst. talking to Hurst. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. Huh. I remember Sai saying he would do something for Hurst, but I didn't pick up on what it was he was planning on doing. Yeah, he was planning on setting up um, the two of them. He said he was saying uh, that it wouldn't be hard to do because. Um, the sheriff's got such a, a quick trigger and uh, short fuse, but I think he used quick trigger. I don't know what he used. I don't remember the expression he used. And the other one with the look on, with the attitude, the guy, the kid, he doesn't seem all that young to me, but the kid is uh, going around with, it shouldn't be hard to get the two of them to draw it each o- on each other. That's not a bad plan. No, it's not. Bellegarde gets Chesterton ready for transport by swaddling him in blankets. Bellegarde also seems to be very uncomfortable around the dying. Yeah. And in my notes, I wrote that he seems to be the opposite of Jack. Jack wants to deny the truth of Chesterton's imminent demise, but Bellegarde seems to obsess over it. Yeah, I think Bellegarde just wants it over. Mm. Well, the guy is obviously suffering, so... I don't know. Is it that, or is it that Bellegarde is... Kind of selfish. Well, I mean, so is Jack, though, because Jack doesn't want him to go because he's like, what Mm -hmm. am I going to do without you? It's the Mm -hmm. same. It's selfish, just in different ways, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Oh, I'm counting the scenes here until uh, Chesterton dies. (laughs) (laughs) And is also selfish in his own way. Yes. Is he is he dead yet? Is he dead yet? No, not until I scroll down uh, scene 28. <laughs> Doc Cochran sees to Steve, who is in a bad fucking way. Fields pays him and asks to lead his horse past, but the Doc guilts him into staying. I don't think it took much to, to guilt him into staying. Doc seems <laughs> better. <laughs> yeah, Doc does seem better. Yeah, yeah. I forgot Actually, about that. This has happened the past few times we've seen him. He seems sick one episode, then fine the next, then sick, then fine. I think that's kind of the way tuberculosis used to work. Uh, you know, you'd, you'd get like a, a flare-up, and then if you were lucky, it kind of went down, and if you didn't, you died. And, mm. you know, I think so. I'm, I'm not that 
sure. You're not a health person. I'm not a health person. (laughs) Keep telling people that. I'm just not a health person. Well, Fields agrees to look after the livery until a representative from the bank arrives. And Doc will send Jane to look after Steve. Oh, she'll love that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe he should stop volunteering her for positions and things. But it gives her purpose when she's, you know, doing stuff like that. She's, you know, she's complaining just as much as she complains all the rest of the time, but she doesn't drink as much. And did you notice how tattered the general's jacket is? Oh, yeah. It is falling apart. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. How about you send Gustav the tailor over there, too? (laughs) Did we ever talk about the patch on the general's hat? No, I don't think we did. It's kind of an interesting looking patch, I thought. I'm trying to remember what it looks like. It's got like I think it's got like two swords or something. Maybe? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. It had. Yeah, I just don't know what it's from, but it looks interesting. It's a military. It's a military patch. Yeah, um, but like, what does it mean? What does it represent? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let me see if I can find out. Claudia and the Countess are moving a chair they got from the bathhouse through the thoroughfare. The chair is actually hotel property. Was this the chair they were sitting in later or something? Like who? Who the fuck knows? Like, what the, what's the point of the scene? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, and I didn't know how they were gonna fit him on that chair because it seemed awfully small. He's not a little guy; like he's a big guy. Maybe they strapped him on. Yeah, I just yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I can tell you that there were two horses in this scene: a gray horse and a black <laughs> horse. That brings our total up to nineteen. Oh, there were a white horse and a pale horse and a... Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Seth is still annoyed that Morgan left those tools in the middle of his store like an interrupted shit. He wants to know if the herps are working for Al. <laughs> Seth thinks the letter was a mistake and he's not waiting on hers. He's, he's not on the great man's timetable. Al says the letter was not a mistake and you are waiting. There's a knock at the door. Blazanoff has a telegram for Seth. I love Al's expression all the way through. The, just dealing with Seth, he's just like, oh, the eye roll and everything else. He's just, you know, grow up. The telegram is confirmation that Wyatt was a lawman. Seth knows that some who give up the badge find themselves on the other side of the street. Although he won't say that this is what Wyatt is doing. Then they have a little bonding moment of being lawman. He, like, backed off on his... On his implication pretty quick. He's like, oh, I mean, that's not what I'm implying. Some do that. Not Certainly not you. <laughs> I got the feeling that he was, he, he was almost planning to couch it that way from the beginning. I didn't, I didn't think it, I didn't see a, uh, sort of thing. I saw more well, his eyes went calculated. After, after Wyatt seemed to get offended by the implication. Yeah. Yeah. That, that could. But it's like he he knows who he's dealing with, and he he does know what saying words like that can can do. You know, he's been picking his words very carefully with him. Seth just can't help but spout off against people. I like that he sees himself in Wyatt. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Wild Bill felt the same way when he's seeing himself in Seth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In George Hurst's room, Aunt Lou knocks. She wanted to give Odell her brooch, but he wrote off before she had the chance. Hearst says they'll send it to New York so his man Fitzpatrick can deliver it to Odell. Then he berates her for her silly motherly affection and asks if she's superstitious. Does she think something awful might happen to Odell if he doesn't get the token of her love? She takes the boots. I hate this guy. 
I hate yeah. how Chet pretends to care and pretends to be her friend until she asks something of him. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's just, he makes it so clear that she, you know, that she should have no interest in anything but him at all times. She shouldn't have a life. She shouldn't care about anybody. And that basically implied threat to her son is just mean. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's for no reason. Oh, well, for a reason, but... Well... It's a terrible reason, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's awful. Yeah. Um, moments like that are, are, like, the worst with this guy. Yeah. It's just aggressive and nasty, and yet he never says anything... He's not like Steve, where it's all out in the open. Yeah. All his awful rhetoric is out in the open. It's It's disguised, and... Somehow that makes it. I think it makes it grosser almost because yeah. it's 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 also more dangerous. I mean, Hurst has got the you know he can he can make life and death happen. Steve is just a blowhard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hurst has power. And you're right about the uh, continuity here. It doesn't really make a lot of sense that the general was saying that he can't wait for Odell, but somehow Odell left <laughs> already. Yeah. Maybe he didn't realize it. Yeah, but Aunt Lou didn't contradict the general. Maybe maybe Odell left between the time uh, he handed her back the money and she went to see um, Hearst. Yeah, but then the general could have gone with Odell. And he didn't. He's still there. But Odell was going back to New York and the general going to San Francisco. The whole idea was that the general would take him to San Francisco. Oh, okay. Is Will still alive? Is he on mute? Will are you on mute? No, I'm still here. Okay. <laughs> Did you fall asleep? No, no, I'm listening. Oh, I can, I can understand you falling asleep. <laughs> yes, yes, I can too. Will is like that horse falling asleep at Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like the characters of Aunt Lou and Odell, Will? I, yeah, I kind of vaguely remembered Aunt Lou. I guess I didn't remember Odell showing up. Um, I do kind of agree with you guys for saying that she kind of she kind of got a little bit overly dramatic in the last episode, or maybe it was two episodes ago. But yeah, overall, I like her. I don't know. I still don't think she was being overly dramatic. I think she, I think the kid is really, you know, in danger, and and plus he's being a jerk. So yeah, he's being no- cocky, cocky and naive. Nobody can. Hurt you like your kid can hurt you. Then you would know. <laughs> no comment. Well, since you're a mom, though, since you're a mom, you know that. Yeah, I mean, no, yeah. you know, you know, you know the feeling of being a mother. You know, more, yeah, and obviously, it, obviously, more than any of us. You know, it it happens. You know, the kids don't even realize it, especially at certain ages. You know, they'll say these things, especially like when they're teenagers and stuff. They'll see say these things, and it just like cuts you right to your heart, and you know that. You know, they have no idea of the implication, mm. but it really does just like tear you apart. And then, you know, later on they grow out of it and it's like, oh, I have no idea why I said that. You know, yeah. I was just being a jerk. Well, mm-hmm. But at the time, you know, and especially if you see them in a situation where they're in danger or something like that. And that's, that's tough. Yeah. It is now night. At the Bella Union, Morgan thinks the sheriff might not be so bad, and mayhap they could be deputies. 
They spot Psy, and Morgan asks if Psy is the one who fits into Wyatt's plan. And and just what is Wyatt's plan? Yeah. Yeah. They keep mentioning his plan. Hey, by the way, something I mentioned I forgot to mention. Um, Lagriche, has he always sounded that Irish? It just seems like he's sounding more and more Irish. He sounded Scottish to me. Really? I think he might be Scottish actually. Well, Irish to me. Brian, the actor Brian Cox wouldn't that be Scottish? Cox. I don't know. We have this thing called the internet that can tell us. Thank you. You? <laughs> he is an Emmy award-winning Scottish actor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Suck it. I know accents. Suck it. Boo yeah. <laughs> yeah. Except I don't think he's trying to be Scottish here. I think he's trying to be British. His father was of Irish ancestry, and his mother was of Irish and Scottish descent. But he's from Dundee, Scotland. I'm just telling you. Okay. Mama was from Ireland. Oh, he was in two episodes of Penny Dreadful. Okay, cool. I'm I'm behind on that show. I have to catch up. So the question is, was Lagriche from... Um, where was Lagriche from? L- well, let me look it up. He was born in New York. Oh, really? Yeah. From what heritage? Because back then... Mm, doesn't say. Okay. Not that it ma- really matters. It's just, for some reason... When he was specifically when he was talking to Hearst, and then later on too, it just seemed like he was, you know, the accent was like there was something coming out from underneath the theatrical accent. Says that his accent and name hint at Irish origins on the show, at least. (laughs) I want to say that he was Irish, though. Yeah, it sounds right. Ha ha. Hmm. It it just seemed like he was sounding more Irish than I remembered on earlier episodes. I hadn't really noticed it particularly. It just seemed like he had a very um, stilted sort of thing that would be common among actors. Jane tries to feed Steve with some kind of paste or mashed substance. After Jane leaves, Fields throws the food into Steve's face and laughs. Cocksucker! Cocksucker! <laughs> it looked like Farina. It looked like what? Farina. I don't know what, what that is. This, this is kind you of time. Farina oh, is? I don't know. Oh. What is that? It's it's a white cereal. Um, do, do you know Mapo? I don't know if they do Mapo anymore. No. Ma- maple is maple-flavored Farina. So. What uh, are farina. these things you are talking about? <laughs> what are these things of which you speak? Um, farina, it's a white. It's like a... Instead of oatmeal, you would have farina for breakfast. It's made of corn instead of of oats, and it looks just like that stuff that they had. It's it's a um, it's a hot cereal. Ugh. It's kind of timely though because one of my friends just sent me a Tumblr called "Someone Ate That," that and it's di- like just pictures of disgusting foods. I can post it if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I always liked farina, uh, but. It's gross to have to clean the pots and stuff because, you know, it's this white pasty stuff once it gets You're old-ish. actually feeding him paste from the children's crafts from the school. Actually, it's called, <laughs> it's called, it's called someoneatethis.tumblr.com. Mm. The mascot of Maypo is a little cowboy. Yeah, I was like Maypo when I was a kid. It's basically, as I say, it's maple-flavored farina, you know, like... Maple syrup or whatever. <laughs> but that doesn't flavor. help. Oh, it's a, oh, it's maple flavor for. I'd never heard of these things you're talking about. Okay. Well, maybe it's. I don't know. So wheat's okay. It's just a hot cereal. Okay, so it's sort of like yeah, oatmeal, it's a hot cereal. Yeah, 
Okay. And it's it's corn based, so. Oh, there's a chocolate flavor too. Like everything in America, it's corn based. <laughs> yeah, well, we love our corn. Yeah. Our- we do, we do. I'm trying to think if there's another name for Farina. I'm not coming up with it. Jack Lingreach gives Hurst a massage as the Countess watches. Jack's instruction, breathe as if your life depended on it. Breathe, but slowly. He's using like, he's using like Reiki healing on him or something. <laughs> <laughs> I was cringing so hard during this scene. I was like, just make it stop. Make it end. <laughs> uh, it was pretty great, though, because the lady just kept nodding. Almost like, why he was she waiting. There? Yeah, why was she there? Like, he. She was, was almost like looking for her approval during this whole thing. I was like, what's going on? She's like, on? yep, that's some good bullshit right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was more like uh, the minister, you know, like a minister doing like laying on of hands and she's there just nodding like, amen, amen kind of thing. She's just there for support. Mm. <laughs> well, some of her pain may have gone away, but he's not willing to lie still for long because he's waiting for something. Yes. His bricks. Uh-huh. Also, we got a little uh, Gerald McCraney ass crack here. Really? I missed that. Yeah, a little little, <laughs> little rear oh, yeah. shot. I saw the, the bum. It's just side bum, though. Side bum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was cringing oh, so yeah. hard, I missed it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> not to go back any, but I'm sorry. It's not It's not corn-based. It's uh, wheat-based. Farina. Yeah. Farina, the word for flour in French is uh, fadin. Oh, cream of wheat. Oh, yeah. Cream of wheat. Now that I've heard of. Yeah, it's the same stuff. Okay, cream so this wheat. is just a brand then. No. No. It's, it's, it's cold. <laughs> Never mind. No, I don't think so. I think cream of wheat might be the brand. I'm not sure. The word farina comes from the Latin farina, meaning meal or flour. Mm, yeah. So I think cream of wheat is the uh, brand name. Or malt meal. Okay. Sorry about that. Back to our regular <laughs> yeah. programming. Are you fishing for a sponsor? What's going on here? <laughs> it's a new official sponsor of Hooplecast, Farina. <laughs> yeah, a- official hot cereal of Hooplecast. <laughs> all, the gr- all the gruel you can eat. <laughs> all the gruel you can throw in someone's face. <laughs> That's right. Man. All right. Um... Joni is concerned Martha doesn't like the new schoolhouse, but Mose thinks Martha hasn't moved the children because the theater people haven't moved into the Chesame yet. She doesn't want to disrupt the children's educational activities. That's exactly what Martha has been saying to Joni and Seth. Okay, now, I one thing mm-hmm. I'm confused about. Mm-hmm. So, the school is currently at Chesame. Yes. Where is it that they are moving the school that Joni and... Um, the guy, I forgot his name. <clears throat> the, the one that's now a night watchman. Mose are talking. Mose. Yes. They're talking in some other building that's going to become the school that they've got some connection with. Uh huh. Where is that? Well, we know that part of the agreement was that Jack was going to build the schoolhouse. Oh, right. But if the schoolhouse exists, why not just move the kids now? Well, they. They had some kind of mumbledy dumbledy, but I don't know what that was about. But because she was like, they think that she, somebody thought that Martha wanted there to be something life going on in the school, so the kids don't feel like they're just moving out and leaving their schoolhouse vacant, which seems 
seems bizarre. Weird. It seems yeah, it seems a little weird. It seems strange. Like if a place exists where they can move the kids, they don't have to wait for the theater people to move into the Shazami. They could just move the kids now into their new school. Yeah, they don't ha- yeah. all have to. They don't all have to be moving day. We're all moving today. Like that doesn't have to be a thing. You can move, and then the theater people can move in. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. It's it, that that was very strange. And okay, so they built that new house, that new schoolhouse, really fast. Well, as I suspected, they they did a piss poor job. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, the agreement was build a new schoolhouse. There was no uh, stipulations that the building actually could withstand, uh, you know, any a high wind. A high wind, yeah, and just it falls apart. Okay. I like though that Moe says he has no trouble watching over dark, empty spaces. Yeah, Joni seems freaked out about him though. She's got a lot of baggage. That woman. I feel bad for her. I really like Moe's. I didn't like him when they first introduced him, and he shot his brother. But ever since, yeah. nearly, ever since nearly dying, though, he's—I don't know—I like that he's just sort of there to protect Joni and Jane and the and the children. And in this case, property. Yes, mm-hmm. empty property. Mm-hmm. Fields wipes the food from Steve's face. <laughs> yeah, I knew he had too good a heart to just let it stay there. Exactly, superior human. Oh yeah, he could have let it stay there, and nobody would have blamed him. <laughs> I mean, nobody who wasn't a racist. A horse would have cleaned it off, probably, if he left it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Oh my god, what if what if Fields had left, and then the horse started licking Steve's face, <laughs> and then and then ate his face? <laughs> it might have. Plus, I think Fields has like pity for Steve. Yeah. Like, yeah. Not just that he's concussed, but that he's. A sad human being who has no friends and is just miserable and angry all the time. Yeah. And even though he directs all that anger at General Fields and Hostetler and any black person or Chinese person, any person who's different, it's like you got to have like just pity for this person because he's... I am guessing that Steve would would direct that anger at any person he can get away with it. If, if he was married... He would be a, a wife abuser, you know. It doesn't anybody who doesn't have the pull, anybody who's not a white male who has, you know, would have the pull to actually get some retribution. He would he would single those out and and go after them. Mm-hmm. There's also a kind of irony or sort of circular uh, meaning to. Steve fucking a horse. I did not fuck that horse. And then the mm-hmm. horse kicking Steve in the face. <laughs> yes. They're probably a different horse, but you know, like I heard what I heard what you did to our kind. <laughs> Do you think it's cuz Steve was approaching the horse from the rear though? Oh, the horse was like, "No, no, 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 no. <laughs> not me. I heard about you. <laughs> I know what you're doing back there." <laughs> Oh, we heard we heard all about you. <laughs> Wasn't it Seth's horse that he was Yeah. He was mad at yes. Seth, so he Yes. Yes. Those uh those horses, they uh they know what's going on. <laughs> they all tell each other there's so many of them that they have their own little community. Oh my they god, there's there's a ton there's a ton of them. I <laughs> I should know. I had to count them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. They all know what Steve's about. (laughs) 
I'd say like, oh god, we gotta go to the livery today? Shit. (laughs) Girl, don't go by yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Chesterton is finally at the theater. Chesterton thinks the masks are a lie. Comedy and drama are the same thing. Jack recites some King Lear. Act 4, scene 1. Thank you. I was trying to figure out what that was. Is that what that was, was, yeah? Dost thou know, Dover? There is a cliff whose high and bending head looks dreadfully down on the roaring deep. Bring me but to the very brink of it, and I'll repair the poverty thou bearest. With something rich about me from that place, I shall no leading need. We know Matt hates Shakespeare and poetry, so I got the modern translation from Spark Notes. Thank you. <laughs> Gloucester is saying, There is a cliff that leans precariously over the deep sea. Take me to the edge of it, and I'll reward all your troubles with something valuable. Once I'm there, I won't need a guide anymore. White Cliffs of Dover. But then he also said something about pushing him on the bum. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he? Didn't he say something? Yes, yes he pushed me on the butt to, like, kind of pop yeah. me or whatever. Yes, he's a boost your bum, darling. <laughs> yeah, what was that all about? <laughs> I think that was that was an ad lib. Mm. The lines in King Lear are about suicide. The character Gloucester is asking to be led to the cliff so that he might go over. And our Chesterton finally goes over mm-hmm. a figurative cliff. And the theater troupe tells Jack that they'll see to him now. They were like like leering like vultures, just like waiting. little like little ghouls. Do you know just- what the next line was that he forgot? What? No, he at the very end he asks for his line. Oh, he forgot a line. He can't remember the next line. I was just curious as to whether the quote you had the quote. Oh, but I you don't. Said it, no, it I was, don't. I only took that little part of it. No, that's okay. You said uh, it was Lear. And yeah, what, King Lear. What act? Uh, it's Act Four, Scene One. The following line would be. Let's see here. Oh, Gloucester's son Edgar says, "Give me thy arm. Poor Tom shall lead thee." Hmm. Mm. But then he says, "Let go my hand." Hmm. But I, I like the um, the theater troupe here, sort of like uh, emerging to tend to this this man who they all knew and respected, and yeah, and it's they're gonna they're gonna bury him now. But it just felt like this was such a private moment between the two of them, and then they were right there as soon as he died. It's like they were listening to the whole thing. I think they were. But it's kind of weird. <laughs> It kind of makes the moment. It kind of makes the ruins the moment a little bit for me. Oh, okay. I liked the moment, and then when I saw them, like right away, as soon as he died, just come in. I was like, "What the fuck? Like, what's wrong with these people? Like, did <laughs> not give them a moment together, like alone." It was weird. Maybe they were just outside of the room, and but now they're going to take the body, and they're going to let Jack be alone in his grief, and they're going to tend to, you know, the practical side of things. So that's kind. Yeah. I think there's a kindness in this scene that... There is. Although I don't care about Chesterton, I just, I, I like their whole dynamic because they're like a family. Yeah. And they're not a family, a biological family. They're a family of, of entertainers. But And I like just how theatrical Chesterton is up until death that he's, that he's like, line, line. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like, wow, an actor up until the very last second. Mm-hmm. Jack says, Claudia and the Countess have embroidered the tabs in gold. Thalia and Melpomene. Thalia is the daughter of Zeus. She's the muse of comedy. And her sister, Melpomene, is the muse of tragedy. 
That's a crazy name. Melpomene. <laughs> <laughs> Is that who you were named after, the Muse of Tragedy? Uh, you'd have to ask my parents. Probably not. <laughs> She is often depicted as holding a knife or a club in one hand and a tragic mask in the other. Oh, maybe they did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am pretty murderous. <laughs> um, I love the the fact that the guy wanted to know what the rake of the stage was going to be or what it was. And yeah, what's, what's a rake? The, the rake is the angle that uh, <clears throat> a stage generally a stage will be um, it'll have a slope from the front of the stage to the back of the stage, especially the old ones, to give really? perspective. Because if you're at the back of the stage and the and the seats are not sloped, mm-hmm. if they're flat, you're not going to be able to see the person in the back. So the the stage is angled up. There's a slope on the stage, and uh, you don't see that so much anymore. But um. But a, it's called a raked stage. Hmm. Nice. God, I'm glad you said that because I didn't pick up on that line, and that's really cool to know. Yeah, I just I thought it was a nice little, you know, like what would an old actor do when he's looking at the stage and stuff, and and uh, you know, it, it was a nice little thing. Downstairs at the Bella Union, the Earps are playing craps, and the whores are entertained. At the gem, Alan Jack talk. Jack calls Hurst a leviathan and suggests, rather than fell him by harpoon, he might keep Hurst occupied by a campaign of relieving his back pains. Al commends Jack for trying to net the cocksucker. Then Jack spots Hurst on the balcony opposite and announces he and Al are old friends. Hurst replies, he's waiting for something. That was really weird. Like, I wasn't sure why he told him that. But it was kind of entertaining, nonetheless. What, that they're old friends? Yeah, just kind of admitting that. Almost like he's trying to make him uncomfortable. Mm, I saw it more like, like being cheerful and stupid. Yeah. This is my friend right. this is my friend Al. Yeah. But yeah. he's doing it on purpose though. He well, knows George Hurst is gonna wonder. And right, rather yeah, than I mean, wondering and, and coming up with this theory of of this guy who who seems so nice in the hotel is actually gonna sabotage me at some point. This guy is just like an oblivious kind of happy-go-lucky guy who's friends with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I I figured. He was, I mean, Al's office is right across the street. He's either going to try and sneak over there or something like that, which will look very suspicious because, of course, now that he's on Hearst's radar, Hearst is going to find out that he's friends with Al. So rather than do that, he just... Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I'm just a stupid actor. Mm-hmm. I I know nothing about anything. Politics? What's politics? Murder? What's that? Right. Yeah, that was my take on it. Mm. Well, that's why I thought maybe he was doing that. It was to make him uncomfortable about his position or which side he would be on or if he was on even on any side. Like just to make him wonder. I think he was going to he knew he was going to wonder eventually anyway yeah yeah exactly it was a matter of you know how does he put it in terms that will make him have access to hearst for the longest possible time yeah he's sort of preemptively telling george hearst you have nothing to fear i'm Mm -hmm. just i'm just the nice guy who's friends with everybody this is my old friend and you're my new friend and Mm -hmm. don't put don't (laughs) put me in the middle (laughs) Mm -hmm. the middle the middle of what there's no middle 
I don't even know what's going on. What day yeah. is it? Yeah. <laughs> like, There's no middle. Langrish is just a hooplehead now. It's rubbed off. Yes. I I like powerful men with money. They can help support my theater. Yeah. We're all friends, right? And I borrowed that phrase cheerful and stupid from a radio psychologist that I used to listen to all the time, Dr. Joy, Dr. Joy Brown. <laughs> she always used to say when when people are trying to engage you in like aggressive behavior or trying to solicit some of opinion from you and you just kind of want to just ignore them just be cheerful and stupid mm-hmm. yeah and it's advice that i really try and take to heart because when i people try and like gossip with me and stuff it's just i just kind of go along with it like okay bye bye <laughs> i'm everyone's friend no need to involve me in this you're trying to make me choose sides and things i'm not interested right. in choosing sides right and and people generally are like okay well this person doesn't know what's going on this person doesn't care goodbye <laughs> Yeah, I've I've done that kind of thing when people have tried to do insinuations towards me too, where it's like they're trying to do like make nasty comments and stuff, and I just pretend like I don't know what they're talking about and that I don't notice that you know you're insulting me and being you know trying to be mm-hmm. you know whatever, and it's like nope, I have no idea what you're saying. I just don't get double entendres. Yeah, it's a really great defensive strategy. Although it's super easy to slip into being passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I am wont to do. <laughs> Martha tells Seth that the troops should be moving into the Chesame very shortly now that Chesterton has died. Wow, she she got that news fast. Small town. Seth acknowledges his lack of sweetness the night before. He was anxious about his letter's publication and George Hurst's reaction. Maybe, maybe, and they're like, maybe it's going to be a nice night after all. But then suddenly men in, ride into camp, they're hooting and hollering. It's the bricks that Hurst orders, and Hurst smiles. Leviathan <laughs> smile. Yeah. Yep. Leviathan smile. So, yeah, I have just here that, okay, so, you know, we're trying to figure out the title. So, Hurst is the Leviathan. Makes sense. Yep. And it was a little tough to count the number of horses that rode in because the scene is dark and they're they're very uh they're close together and they move very quickly. Uh, but so you did slow it down to frame by frame so you can I count try- everything. I tried. I tried. Okay. There may be as many as seven, but I counted a definitive six as they stop in front of George Hurst. I'm counting six. That brings our total number of horses up to twenty five. Wow. Uh, it's like a yeah. I bet that's a record in the entire show. It could be. It very well could be. Um, any last comments about this sort of final scene of the the writers coming in? I I just didn't know why Langrish made an effort to point out that hey, I'm over here with uh, your enemy. Like he he was having these sessions with Hurst where he had him like relaxed and unawares. Like they could have used that to their advantage. Yeah, but he was going to know. I mean, all he had to do was ask anybody about Langriche. And, you know, it's everybody knows that uh, they're friends. They've, didn't they, like. there the first time, and he hadn't asked anyone about, about him, so. Well, because he hadn't, didn't know anything about him. He didn't, you know, he it hadn't met like him he or was anything. trying to find out more about him either, though. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. as we said, it was preemptive. Yeah. And, I mean, there's every reason for him 
not to care about Langriche before he started working on his back, but as soon as he becomes, because Harris doesn't seem like a very artistic kind of guy. He's not going to care about, you know, show people. But once he inserted himself into Hearst's life, eventually he was going to start asking questions. Maybe Langriche will throw a masquerade ball and that's when they'll assassinate Hearst. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they're going to be assassinating Hearst anytime soon. Because yeah. in my research of masquerade balls, because uh, of course I have to research everything, Gustav III, Sweden's king from 1771, had many powerful enemies, and he danced his last dance at one of his own masquerade balls. A disgruntled nobleman used the masks to fatal effect after he snuck into the ball and dosi doed close enough to assassinate the king. From this point, the simple masquerade ball was associated with an ultimate night of risk, inspiring operas and plays alike. And soap operas, too, as we talked about earlier. <laughs> what if... I don't remember the... the uh plot of Flatermouse. I wonder if that's like that. Hmm. Well, for your predictions, Carol predicted that Leviathan smiles as part of a quote, a one-off moment that has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, and Al <laughs> will say it. Wow. That is bang <laughs> on. Cheater. Wow. Great, great prediction. <laughs> uh, I don't care much for their title thing. Actually, I thought this, that had more to do with the episode than than a lot of them have had in the past. Mm-hmm. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. hey, I'll take it. Good. <laughs> Matt predicted, A leviathan will be summoned from the corpse river, which Richardson will train using his antlers, like the dolphin trainers at SeaWorld, to jump from the water and land on Hearst. <laughs> Mel predicted that Richardson will be her favorite character of the episode. No, actually, I was wrong. <laughs> No, yeah, barely in it. But it would be like Free Willy, a slow motion shot of a Leviathan jumping over Richardson. Or or a new character named Leviathan Smiles. <laughs> that would actually be a pretty good name. That's a good name, I think. Yeah. It is a good name, yeah. Maybe yeah. maybe one of the horses is named Leviathan Smiles. <laughs> Guys, if we ever buy a racing horse <laughs> Yes, if we ever pool our money and we buy a racing horse, let's do it. Can we call it Leviathan Smiles? Yes, I think I think we would have to. I mean, I have no objection to that. Well, analysts predict that uh, Leviathan Smiles may win the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> cool, cool. All right, uh, for your miscellaneous predictions, I asked you to predict the number of individual horses this episode. Matt predicted two. Carol predicted four. Mel predicted 12. There were 25. Yes! yes! Now, normally we give it to the person who's the closest, but this was like double the number of you pre- you predicted. I don't know if we should give it to you. 12 is really close to 20. <laughs> but not very close to 25. It's more than uh... double. Oh, come on. <laughs> she she begs, even though she's said many times she doesn't care. <laughs> Please. <laughs> All right. Mel gets the point. Mel is running away with it this season. Uh, All right, let's do some feedback. Let's, let's find the longest one and give it to Will, since he's been so silent. Has been. Will. Will, yes. you there? <laughs> Will. Will you please read Nutty's feedback? 
Of course. <laughs> okay. Nettie says, Richardson can read? <laughs> <laughs> yes! Apparently. <laughs> my, my reaction as well. <laughs> I really like Merrick and Blazinoff together. They are good buddies and they have good chemistry. Mm-hmm. Steve with the horse is the funniest thing. <laughs> he wants in general's help, but he's too much of an ass to ask for it. Holy cow, was the kick in the head by the horse instant karma? But now in general is too. <laughs> 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 oh, if nice. anyone Take can it. say it, you can. We can. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> Just taking care of him, but too nice than he deserves. Poor Steve. TBI, he got what he deserved. But dang. I think Joni is afraid Jane will leave her now that she kissed her. I think Jane is as uncomfortable as ever with someone wanting her around. She's so used to people not wanting her around. I think she's afraid of wearing out her welcome. I don't think she cares about the kiss, but maybe that's me reading into it. I also think it's neat that in general says to himself that he'd be lucky to win over Aunt Lou. Can I ship them now? <laughs> I always wonder if they're like going to get together or something. Um mm. I'm really worried about Aunt Lou's boy, and I think if anything happens to him, hers should watch out. She's scary. Is she? Is she scary? I don't huh. think she's scary. Uh, she probably could be. She's. She could poison his food. A lioness. Oh yeah, I I think she definitely could. I think she's got enough rage in her that's yeah. you know down, down way way deep. That if he if he took out her son, I think she'd be capable of anything. Wyatt Earp. That name perked my ears. Another big famous historical person in Deadwood. I didn't know he went to Deadwood, so I had to look it up. Not much info in my fast lookup. He was there, but nothing big happened. All this is before the OK Corral and Tombstone, so it will be interesting. His brother Morgan being in the show is pretty interesting, too. I like how Seth and Martha fight and how they make up. I also like how everyone knows Seth is looking for a fight, and Saul even says, want to fight? Yeah. <laughs> Seth actually smile and laugh. I'm not sure what Langrish- Jack Langrish's game is, but it is interesting. Hmm. Uh, a campaign of niceness, I guess. Is that what he says to Al? He's, or is he gonna, he's going to get information by just being a masseuse? <laughs> I don't know. Everyone's still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Yeah. Oh, it was an awkward moment yeah. of silence there. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I uh, think I actually heard crickets over the headsets. <laughs> I was sniffling, so I muted my mic. All I right, haven't l- heard from Matt and Mel. Matt and Mel, are you there? Oh, yes. Okay, there we go. Okay, all right. We said hello before. Didn't hear it. Here's some more feedback from Harold. Uh, we'll have Matt read this one. This episode brought the first appearance of the Earp Brothers, a few years before their famous gunfight at the OK Corral. It is not clear to me whether the audience is supposed to think of them as malevolent or just hard asses. I think it is a bit of a hard sell to get a modern audience to think of them as gunsels for hire after decades of movies depicting Wyatt Earp as a hero of the Old West. The near showdown between them and Seth was a high point of this episode, as was Hearst confronting Merrick. I think there's a lot of truth to what Hearst has to say about Merrick hiding behind his claims of objectivity. Is it because Merrick is a coward, or is it, or is he just being non-confrontational? Is there a difference? This was the problem with running Bullock's letter. It was like poking a beehive and expecting the bees to just sit and take it. This is my conjecture, since I don't think anyone on the show ever explicitly states what Steve's injury is, but I believe that he has locked-in syndrome 
which is a condition where a person cannot move but is mentally alert. Ooh, that's the worst. Oh my Ooh. god. That would it be horrible. One of the most horrifying injuries a person could have. They play the injury for humor, and that is just another cause cosmic comic joke on Steve that a modern audience will chuckle at because he deserved it. It is also a cosmic joke on the general who is stuck caring for this despicable bigot. The fittingly theatrical death of the old actor just didn't work for me. I don't feel like I've known him well enough to care about him, nor do I care enough about the members of his troop to feel for how his death has affected them. Yet it was portrayed as if I should. I give this 6 out of 10 men with torches coming to burn the camp down. But wait, you can't do that. There are four more episodes left. <laughs> ah, only four. I got you, sad. You know, yes, it was played for laughs when uh, the general was flicking the cream of wheat at Steve. But then when he wiped it off of Steve's face, it was very kind of sad and pitiful. Yeah, I actually... I actually... You know, I mean, I smiled at at that because, I mean, it was more a situation of how could the general not take advantage of something? I mean, it's right there. You know, it's, he could have done a whole lot worse to the guy. Right. But but even so, it was – I didn't feel like it was really a laughing moment because it was more of the the relationship between these two, the fact that this guy had been so rotten. You know, Steve had been so rotten all the time. And, you know, the general taking it out on him by flicking cereal at his face was, you know, the least of what Steve, you know, Steve didn't exactly, he deserves so much more. Yeah, you could have pulled down Steve's pants and told the horse, <laughs> you know, your, your, your turn now. <laughs> Boy, you go right for it, don't you? <laughs> um. The the de- the death of Chesterton uh, affected me in the sense that I I liked how the troop came together as a family to to take care of it and it has me excited because now that that's done they can put on a play <laughs> or whatever so it worked on me Harold yeah I thought it, and I thought it was poetic that he was quoting Lear Jack was quoting Lear and Chesterton was asking for his lines and it's like they're professionals up until the very end there's something nice about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I liked it. Uh, Will's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm it was, heartless, so... It was definitely <laughs> yeah, a nod to theater folk. More written feedback. This one's from Hasso. Matt, I'm going to have you read this one. Didn't Matt just read something? No, he didn't. Yeah, did. yeah he did. <laughs> I just <laughs> read that one. Okay, then Mel read it. I'll read it. <laughs> but I can read it. But I'm just I'll, I'll read pointing it. out the... Melpony, you read it. You're you're wrong, Matt. Wrong. <laughs> Sorry, it's just fun to say that. Matt is <laughs> Matt is wrong about who read feedback. Fuck you. New <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just getting ready for the end. Just getting ready. <laughs> Hi everyone. Just some brief feedback for this week's episode. Not sure if it was because I may have been slightly distracted, but I'd have to say this episode stood out as the flattest to date. <laughs> I think I might agree with that. <laughs> mm. Yeah. If it wasn't for Hearst's men tearing into the camp at the end, then the whole episode may not have been needed at all. Is this an overstatement? I mean, we've had the performers where, let's face it, although add another dimension to the culture of Deadwood, aren't significantly impacting any major characters or plot lines. And I can't say I had much affinity for the old fellow who died too, without seeing his backstory. Then there's the new guys, Wide Earp and his bro. 
That's a potential new plot line to develop, but not sure where it's heading. I did enjoy Seth not mincing his words with them through, especially the glare after telling them essentially to pay up. The highlight of this episode was seeing Steve receive his dues. That horse just didn't take any of his shit. (laughs) Ironic, isn't it? Because even with Steve trying to prove all the time that he did not fuck that horse, well, in the end, the horse fucks Steve. (laughs) 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 Yeah, it's true. So anyway, I'm definitely pumped for the next episode with the standoff between Hearst and Al's camp reaching heightened levels, but I still found the episode pretty flat overall. Thanks, guys. Hustle. Thanks, Hustle. Thank you, Hustle. Yeah, well, I'm getting that feeling. What if we don't see any more white herb and that just goes nowhere? <laughs> Probably. Or they uh, do the same like they did for that kid and they just shoot him in the head and feed him to the pigs. <laughs> yeah, what they kid? can't do that to white herb. <laughs> hey, you said there's uh, there's historical liberties taken. Oh, huh? yeah, but true. We know that Wyatt Earp has got to show up later on. He doesn't die in Deadwood. so He does in this universe. And we have some audio feedback from Russell. Hello, this is Russell, and it's my feedback for Leviathan Smiles, uh, which was a good episode, I thought. And uh, I wondered if you guys watched the credit, because the credit's at the beginning, because they are lovely, but after three watches of three th- seasons, I... I skipped them, but I wondered if you guys um, still do. It's not like they're going to change like um, Game of Thrones or something like that might. But anyway, yeah, the episode was very good. I thought that the um, they wanted to show the mud, clearly. They wanted to show there was plenty of mud um, in Deadwood. And uh, Steve is being his normal, customary, annoying self. He, you know doesn't seem to learn, doesn't seem to understand, and then it ultimately becomes too late for him. And But I really enjoyed this scene with the conversation with the horse, and I thought it was funny, and I thought also it made me think of Stephen Tobolowsky in one of his um, chats about Deadwood was saying that Milch said something about doing a scene with a horse, and I think it was with Powers Booth, and Powers Booth was, he was telling Powers Booth, you've got to speak to the horse or something like that. And uh, it's just those confusing things that David Milch must do on set, which must just cause confusion. I wonder if Steve was like, do I really have this conversation with a horse? And, uh, but yes, he did, and uh, ended up worse the wear for it in one way or another. And uh it's just very sad, really. Um, so the Earps have arrived in town, and no one believes their story, do, do they? They seem to... I don't know how much truth there is in the, in this, that they uh, that that's how they entered Deadwood, and I don't know anything about the history, actually, whether they were there, so it'd be interesting to know um, where they were. And the acting troupe stuff, there's quite a lot of that this episode, and I guess if... This on my third watch, I'm enjoying it more, and I remember thinking that I didn't enjoy the acting troupe stuff as well. The only reason, really, for I, for it being there, I could see was really the Langriche character and his relationship with Al, and that makes sense to me. But there's quite a lot of I really enjoyed the scene with the the death scene with the Shakespeare and everything, and I thought that was very well done. And the way they came out of the shadows once he had passed, I really enjoyed that scene and thought it was good. But I can remember thinking, ultimately, what is the acting troupe all about? Is it showing that Dead was is expanding? I guess. Um, and then the closest we've got to a standoff with the Earps and uh, 
and the sheriff. That was the closest we've got since, I guess, Wild Bill. And, um, you know, that was sort of almost traditional Wild West stuff, which was quite interesting to see. Uh, and then Johnny gaining confidence. So they setting him up for a full, maybe you can see him like gaining, um, stature and confidence in this episode. Um, and I, I really like the scene at the end with Brian Cox and Ian McShane, two friends on the balcony. That's the stuff that I enjoy of the theater, uh, troop stuff. So, and that does serve a purpose in terms of the Hearst relationship as well. And you think does Hearst is obviously not stupid, but he must realize they're friends and and in fact um Langrish, you know announces that and says that but he must realize that so what's his play going to be in that because there's obviously big drama at the end with the um the bricks arriving and i guess what we have to remember is this was never intended to be the final season third seasons are often um difficult because you know things are going in a certain direction or whatever so i wonder you know where all of this was going but um maybe we'll find out uh, in the new movie that's gonna gonna come hopefully i enjoyed this episode i think i would give it nine out of ten swathes of customary sweetness and of course al being the uh favorite character for me as per usual talk to you soon guys bye 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 i skip the credits if i'm running short on time i skipped the credits today for like the first time because i was running so late yeah, uh, because my electricity problem, and I was just trying to get it watched. Mm-hmm. But normally, I do watch the credits just because gets I don't expect them the, to change. Yeah, get you into the mood. Yeah, yeah. yeah I love credits. I, love it, I do. I do. And too. it was one of the things that I found that I missed when we were away from it for a while, when we had that break, and we came back for season three. I was really kind of surprised that when I heard the the uh, theme song i was like oh we're back i missed this but it has that kind of a i love main title sequences i love credits they always get me primed for the show and i hate it when shows don't have them yeah and i always watch them never without fail i I sit down and i watch them i hate that netflix like if you're binging a show it'll skip the credits right i don't know if there's a way to change that oh yeah it was like skipping the the intro to Jessica Jones when yeah. I was trying to watch multiple up ep- and I was like, Oh, this, well, Netflix does a lot of stuff with their streaming service that I hate. Yeah. I hate that they, that they skip ahead to the next one, that they skip the credits or the recap of the previously on, you know, I was watching Gilmore girls and they kept skipping the recaps. Um, they minimize the credits into a little box at the end. I just, uh, they do a lot of stuff that I really wish they would stop doing. That that kind of stuff is usually done for the, uh, the network TV showing of something, and uh, you know the like making it into little boxes and stuff, so they can start the next show. Mm-hmm. But and you know Netflix, uh, didn't they weren't they showing like the um, the short version of the Buffy musical episode um, instead of showing the full version? They were showing the cut up version. It may so. have been. I think yeah. the Lost finale also they had their short like the shortened version and Damon Lindelof complained or something like that and they started showing the full version. Because I believe when Potential Cast got to that one, that was one of the things that people f- realized was that they were looking around for where Potential Cast could watch the the full version of the musical episode. 
because it's just not even close to the same. Mm. And you know, I, I love the theme song to the U.S. version of The Office. And The Office started doing these really shortened versions of their opening theme and main titles. Yeah. Because it's network TV and they want to fit more ads in. Right. But yeah. when the show ends up on DVD or streaming and you don't have to worry about ads, why can't we have the full version of the theme then? Like, why right. do we still have to have the shortened version? You can show the full thing. Uh-huh. I felt the same way like Arrested Development. I always liked the full intro to that too, but they would show a, a brief thing. Like, once it's on home video, you don't have to have the shortened version. But they would just air the broadcast version because they're lazy. They're fucking lazy. Well, it. Yeah, I mean, it might be that that's what's attached to the episode, and, and that you know there isn't a a version, a long version attached to an episode. Uh, I think you can edit a long version for release when it you know it's going to come out on video. Mm, maybe. I, I just want to share a little brief thing about Michael Harney, who plays Steve on on Deadwood, mm-hmm. and this comes from uh, an article about David Milch. You may have seen David Milch in the news re- recently because he had some gambling problems. You no. Know. no, don't pay much attention to that stuff. Yeah, he lost like a hundred million dollars or something oh, in, in oh. gambling. Yeah. Oh, that hurts. Yes. Just to think really? about it. Wow. Wow. Well, he's at least seventeen million in debt. Oh. Oh, he lost twenty-five million gambling between two thousand and two thousand and eleven. Oh. His wife provides him forty dollars a week in cash to prevent him from gambling. <laughs> They sold their Brentwood home in 2014 for 4.8 million. Now, now they live in a rental home near their uh, production offices, I guess, near Milch's company. Part of the reason I think that he was eager to do Deadwood movies because it's like money for him. He needs money. Yeah, sure. But anyway, in this article, it says here Milch is still teaching and mentoring twice a week, sometimes more. Actor Michael Harney, who worked for Milch and NYPD Blue in Deadwood, comes to the office with his 17-year-old son, Dylan, who is autistic. Dylan writes and shares his work with Milch, who gives feedback. The invitation to write was extended by Milch during a lunch with Harney. Milch asked asked the actor how Dylan was doing in English class, and Harney said he's doing okay. It's kind of standardized how they're teaching it. Well, I can teach it, Milch said to Harney, who at first thought Milch was joking, but it was a serious offer. Bring him in, Milch said. So Harney did, and soon began writing alongside his son in the room with the old couch and the awards that haven't been sold. Dylan writes about his observations and feelings. His father, who often has played the role of law enforcer on camera, has been working on poetry, short stories, and screenplays. Rita Milch said her husband does some of his best thinking when he's teaching. David Milch takes it further. He's his best self, he said, when he's teaching. Wow. Hmm. I really like that. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of got choked up there. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's really sweet. Yeah. So I hate th- it. Yeah. Go on. I was just going to say, do you think that him being in debt is going to affect the, if the movie happens or not? Well, it, only that it more, more likely to happen. Yeah. It might <laughs> make more likely driven for it. Somebody yeah. else pays for it, I guess. <laughs> the, the only thing i'd be worried about is whether he would be more likely to settle for something that is not very good you know like demands but if somebody gets in charge and demands he do something that's really not good and that because of the money situation he might agree and just do it Mm. that's that's the only thing that would concern me about the money situation other than that i agree that he's more likely to do he it. Still has, he still has creative control, though, over it. Yeah, but he might give that up if yeah. if he needs the money badly enough. Yeah, if he's pressured into it. Yeah. 
He has a great interest in horses and horse racing, which is why he created the show for HBO Luck, which is all about horse racing. Oh, but wow. he doesn't, because he doesn't have any money, I don't really think he ought to bankroll Leviathan Smiles. We shouldn't, <laughs> guys, we shouldn't ask him for money. He doesn't have no, money. No, no, it's yeah, not a good idea. No. Yeah, we're not Trump University. I don't know. We can just, uh, that's a bad joke. Sorry. <laughs> just ask him to take a gamble on us and. Oh, oh, come on. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Too soon. <laughs> well, thank you for the feedback, Nutty, Harold, Hasso, and Russell. Thank yes. you. Love hearing from you guys. Yeah. All right, let's get into uh, rating this episode. Will, you go first. Yeah, this episode was just kind of there. It <laughs> had, you know, a few good moments, mostly involving Steve. He was just horrible but he was the best horrible he could be (laughs) (laughs) you're gonna be horrible be the best horrible you can be (laughs) yeah the theater stuff didn't get to me i'm not that interested in the wyatt herb storyline um not sure why i picked this episode to tell the truth (laughs) 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 so this episode is just kind of like that, you know, person you're spending the night with and just because they were there, not because you're all that into them, but you end up having an okay time, I guess. So this episode gets <laughs> seven out of 10. Oh, that rating kind of involves a quote I haven't said yet. Uh, seven out of 10, um, uh, kicking horses, <laughs> kicking horses. Okay. Um, let's have Carol go next. Um, I had, I have to agree that, you know, it's not a lot happens. It's other than Steve. I mean that, you know, and the old actor dies and Steve goes into whatever's going on with Steve. I have to kind of agree that if it wasn't here, there wouldn't, you wouldn't notice it all that much. Um, but I did like, um, uh, I, it was all character stuff and I do like character stuff. So, it didn't move the plot along very much, but we did see some cool interaction um, and uh, that much more insight into into all these different characters. So in that respect, it was kind of it was it was fun to watch. I'm going to go with um, seven out of ten theatrical death scenes. Okay, Matt. Uh, agreed. This was a pretty unremarkable episode. I just liked. Small character moments here and there, uh, like with Merrick at the beginning and uh, Jane and um, who else had a nice scene? I don't know. There's just these nice scenes here and there. And the main, the, the bulk of the episode and the storyline that it was about didn't really enthrall me. Um, it's just too many darn characters now. I don't know. It's getting out of hand a little bit. Uh <laughs> I'll give it a six out of ten uh, convoys of new characters. Okay. <laughs> it's getting out of hand. It's been out of hand for a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Mel? Yeah. Um. Yeah, I agree with all you guys. It's just, just a meh episode. Uh, so you guys have said it all already. I'll just give it a six out of ten uh Spoonfuls of farina. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I like this one more than you guys because I like the herbs. I really like that actor, Gail Harold, and 
and wider. I, though I did read a comment that they come across as too modern. Really? Yeah. That they're not, I don't know. Yeah. Just their performances are too modern or they seem kind of out of place in the show. They did. They just popped um, out of nowhere. Yeah. But I, 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 I didn't think they, I thought they fit right in, in that they had the same attitude as Seth, and they even, White Earp and Seth even stood very similarly, um, and the guy had, had the right moves down. I mean, he was pick when he was in Al's office, he's picking up the hat with his left hand and stuff, making sure his right hand is free at all times, um, and uh, when Seth and he were facing off about Morgan the first time, the two of them both had their jackets in the in position to be able to draw on the other one. And, you know, there were a lot of little things that are not modern. <laughs> you know? Well, so, I don't say I, I agree with it. It's only yeah. just an observation that I saw. And, yeah. But I, I, I actually I actually like White Earp. Morgan Earp, no. I mean, he's Weasley. Like, yeah. So, no, I don't like him very much, but... I like the aspect of the brother having to stick up for your brother, even though you don't like what he's doing, the choices he's making, you nonetheless right. defend your family. Like, I like the dynamic of that, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I really enjoyed the theater people this episode. I thought it was very sweet. The actor's final lines and looking at the stage and quoting Lear and then, yeah, well, I've already said that. So, yeah. but um, yeah, there was not a lot in this and, the lack of Alma and Trixie really oh, bring it down yeah. for me. Yeah. And Steve got kicked in the face. <laughs> there was stuff that happened, but it it was it was just okay. Um I guess I'll give it I'll give it an eight. An eight out of ten. Um chairs being pushed through the muck. <laughs> that guy didn't look like he would have fit in that chair. I don't know how they got him out. That's what I said earlier. Yeah. I must not have heard you say that. No, you were totally not paying attention. <laughs> I heard you they say that when we were watching. They didn't have duct tape yet, but maybe that's what inspired the invention of duct tape. It so, wasn't actual ducts. It was just... So easily our lowest rated episode of the season so far. We're on a downward trajectory, but Uh-oh. I think the last four episodes are really fantastic. Oh, great. So I'm super excited to be pushing through the kind of slow middle part here into some... Just there's just so much good stuff in these last four episodes. Mm. I really can't wait. I'm excited. Oh, cool. Um let's talk about our character of the episode. Will you may go first? Oh. Uh <laughs> I pick the horse that kicked no. off. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna say Steve, but I'll, I'll say General Fields. Because mm. he got a little bit of, you know, revenge against Steve, but then he felt bad for him and helped him. Yeah. That's a good pick. He was all over this one. Yeah, he was. Yeah, there was oh. a lot of general fields this time. Carol, um, I think I'm gonna go with um Jack. Uh, what is it? Lang Langrish 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 Langrish. I'm gonna go with it just because he had that. He did such a beautiful job in the death scene, and he walked a he walked quite a line all the way through. Um, in dealing with different people, he was, he was who he needed to be when he needed to be it. And, uh, I found it in a very believable way. Mm-hmm. 
any I liked his strategy of not harpooning the Leviathan, but sort of seducing mm-hmm. him through uh yeah. acts of kindness and so forth. It's not gonna work. Yeah. But yeah. uh but, it's a it's know, a I mean, nice strategy. Yeah. So yeah. So he was he was one way with Hearst, he was another way with Al. He was himself. You get the feeling that that's, you know Yeah. Mostly with Al and and he was a different part of himself with his friend who was dying and Perhaps that's why his Irish brogue was coming out more, because he was required to put on different personas throughout the episode. You know, that's a good point, that the Irish, you know, the whole, you know, charm of the Irish type thing, he was, he was trying to be his most charming and his most obsequious, and, uh, you know, he, he was playing Hearst, so that might have been, mm-hmm. you know, that might have been the part of it, to... And also, to the Irish were not looked at as being uh, being very high up on the ladder either, or intelligent or anything else. So he may have been playing that to be underestimated by Hearst. I think the Irish accent is the best accent. Worst accent? Canadian. I mean, come on. (laughs) (laughs) What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, Hey, speaking of Canadians, Matt, you go next. Yeah. I'm giving it to Leon. Any other character or any other actors who want to follow us on Twitter, step up. You can have the coveted character of the week at uh, slot. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very good. Right. Very good. Uh, Mel. I'm going to give it to the horse. Do it. I'll let you the do it. The horse just said it all. Said it all. <laughs> when Steve was talking to him, he just like basically rolled his eyes at him and then started to fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um. I am not going to give it to the horse, <laughs> though I was tempted. Uh, I'm going to follow Carol's lead, and I'm going to give it to Jack. This was a fantastic episode for him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's do quotes. Will, go first. Um, you just heard me fart. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, do your quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Carol, you may go next. Did you retire with your customary sweetness? <laughs> I just thought calling Seth having customary sweetness was funny right to begin with. It is. Yeah. It's kind of a funny way to put that, though. To put, put like, niceties in their relationship as sweetness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yes. it's just funny that they have to, like, characterize it, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um... Mel, would you like to go next? Two hundred dollars in merchandise in the middle of our store, like an interrupted shit. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Man, angry Seth, it's the yeah. best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Matthew, uh, mine was stolen by Will. Oh no! Ah, uh, uh, there's a good one. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Fuck yourself with a fist punch up your ass today at the present moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. The uh, the quote, not the fist punch up the ass. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's an exchange between Bellegarde and the Countess. Where have you been? Pushing this contraption through the muck to the bathhouse? It was on loan. Wait till you see what they do there. <laughs> yeah, that was like, whoa. Okay. I have a feeling that Bellegarde knows very well what they do at the bathhouse. I dare say. Completely useless character. Bellegarde? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bellegarde so, yeah. gave us ginger bum. <laughs> so useless though like he won't even 
help anyone, and when he's trying to help, he's just a failure. He's just awful. Yeah, he's a fop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Any other quotes? Uh, the sheriff is going for blowjob? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I wrote that down. <laughs> Do for me, Mr. Hurst, and much more for yourself, this one important thing. Breathe, sir! Breathe deeply, hungrily, <laughs> as if your life depended on it, and yet slowly. As with the rhythm of the waves of the sea, the while, Mr. Hurst, allowing influx of my motion's heat, do you begin to feel it, man? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) So good. Yep. Say anything with enough enthusiasm. uh, Yep. Um, Any more quotes? Line. (laughs) Line. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like this one between Seth and Wyatt, where he says... I took the badge off myself once without losing my impulse to beat on certain types. No, that seems never to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I have one between Joni and Mose. Does it trouble you keeping watch on a dark place? No, ma'am, it does not, especially when I know there's a light coming to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Cy- now, Cy Tolliver at the end said, um, Mr. Hurst brought the pros to town, but he called the ERP something else before that, and I don't remember what it was. Um, he said, forget about the something. Mr. Hurst brought the pros to town. Uh, yes. He says, take them amateurs off the fucking sugar tit. Right. That's right. <laughs> no more free ride for them. Uh-huh. The sugar tit. All right. That should have been my rating. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, in two weeks, we will return with episode 33, Amateur Night. <laughs> Amateur night. Amateur night. The herbs have just been described as the amateurs. Okay. So it's going to be an evening of stand-up comedy. <laughs> yes, the herbs and Seth Bullock in uh, in the new stand-up. That sounds dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> Amateur night. It's going to be like one of them is going to have to have like a some sort of a prop comic comedy routine. They're going to be like Carrot Top. It's going to be dreadful. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's amateur night and if the Earps are the amateurs, then I'm guessing they end up making a mess of Mr. Hurst's plans somehow. It's amateur night at, uh, at the Gem Saloon and... Anyone who feels like they could do a better job than the whores, they get to try their their hand at whoring for the night. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) How do they prove who's better at it? Uh, Customer reviews. Oh, okay. (laughs) They have, like, online... (laughs) They have Yelp, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they do it like that one Roman empress did, where she uh, would challenge the... uh, the local whores to see how many men they could bed before they they just had had enough. No, I, huh. I, I didn't think it was going to be more ladies coming in to be amateur whores. It was going to be like, you know, uh, Saul and uh, <laughs> just, just random people are going to be like... So it's almost like the reverse reverse uh, roles or something. <laughs> it doesn't have you to be. It's just All the guys who thought that they could always do better than the women did? Yeah. Oh, so the women say, all right, fellas, why don't you put on these garters and see how much money you can make tonight. So they all dress up in drag and... Yeah, and there's a scoreboard out all night Mm -hmm. to keep keep the leaderboards updated. (laughs) Yeah. 
But it was it if their legs aren't in the air? I can't remember how. Yeah, they better be off their asses. Right. Okay. All right. Well, a bit of a spoiler Uh because Amateur Night, we're gonna we're gonna have a little bit of a talent show next next episode. Are we really? Yeah. And for your miscellaneous prediction, I want you to predict how many talents are going to be demonstrated on Amateur Night. Four. You mean by, like, adding all the people who perform together? Like, if, you know, this person does one and that person does another and something... Different talents. Yes. Okay. If during the course of this episode, someone demonstrates a talent... Oh, not like in a performance, but like... It has to be on stage. It doesn't have to be on stage. So even if they're walking down the street and somebody decides to juggle... Then that them, would be a talent. In, in, getting angry a talent? Getting angry is not a talent. That takes no <laughs> that takes no talent or skill. Uh that's just that's just Seth's persona. What about controlling yourself? That but yeah, somebody takes, walking down the street someone done, someone walking down the street juggling, like even if they're not performing yet but they're practicing, that's demonstrating that that person has a talent. So yeah. I think that would count. So it has to be like a physical talent. Uh-huh. Yes, singing would count. Okay. What if Mr. Wu taught his pigs to jump through hoops? That's a talent. Yeah. But that's his that's the pigs though, not Mr. Wu. So if we see oh. him so if we see him practicing, okay. that but would count. It would be an his talent would be animal trainer. Correct. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Yes. So basically anything a talent would be anything that you might ever see somebody do for the entertainment of others. Like perform a performance type thing. Okay. No matter where they're doing it, if it would be something that could be included in the circus or included in a theatrical performance or something like that. Mm-hmm. It would be considered a talent. Yeah. A so performing if, arts so talent or can there be painting and such? Um, I would say painting would count if, if theoretically the person were to demonstrate the painting uh, at the talent show. Yeah, kinda, kinda, no, because you couldn't paint fast enough, but someone who could draw like a caricature. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe. Well, I think it's maybe they start the talent show with somebody painting something, and then by the end of it, they finish the painting. I like. I don't speed painting as a talent. I don't know. We can debate it later. uh, You know, when we record, if if I say something is a talent and you object or you say this was a talent and I didn't list it, then you know we can include it. But uh, give me your predictions, Matt. You said four, but do you want to revise it now that we've been talking? Nope. Okay, sticking with your guns. It's Uh, not people on stage, right? It's like it wouldn't be if there's like. Five people performing the same trick, that's still one talent, right? Mm, it's five people demonstrating a talent. If five people are harmonizing in a barbershop quartet, five people one. have five people have demonstrated that talent. That's I five. Thought, I thought we were so counting unique talents. Yeah, so it's people. How many oh, people I'm gonna, have yes. talents, not how many, how many talents okay. are being shown. How many people are being shown with a talent? Well, we, I'll let you guys decide. What do you want to do? I want to well, go different talents. Different talents. All right. How many unique talents demonstrated on Amateur oh, okay. Night? Four. Oh, okay. Four. Okay. Uh, what, do you, what do you think, Carol? What do you think? Um, I'm going to go with six. Fantastic. Mel, keep the streak alive. Hello? Melpony, you there? <laughs> She's trying to communicate with her eyes or something. I don't know. That's What's happening? On That's an audio talent. podcast. That's... That's throwing food on my face right now. <laughs> Um, I think someone is gonna bring Steve. On- no, I think you're not. Yeah, I think the general is gonna bring Steve on stage and show like 
So that's one. He's a hand. He's, <laughs> he's gonna he's... throw like food on his face. Like he's got oh. good aim. I, th- I oh, thought he was going to put him on his knee and and treat him like oh, a that would be hilarious ventriloquist dummy. <laughs> um, just trying to think of what kind of talents there could be. You just need a number. You don't have to think of fifteen. What, what the? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I was gonna say six, but Carol took it, so fifteen. Well, you know, if you said seven, you'd be over. Right. Nah. You would have messed me up because... No, because, Matt, you gave me a hard time today because I didn't get close enough, so... All right. Okay. Okay, I just had this mental image of someone leading a horse on stage and the horse farting and they're lighting the farts on fire. It's going to happen. But who would who would be demonstrating the talent there? The horse or the person lighting the, the farts? The, the person, because he's still an animal trainer, who taught the okay. horse... Plus, it's unique so talents. Do, it's not unique. To do per- things on cue. Okay. The horse is just probably just gassy all the time. Mm. Yeah, but the talent, too. She'll probably go up on stage and light her farts on fire. Do you guys want to predict any talents we might see? This won't count for any, any scoring, but can you anticipate anything? We, we already heard ventriloquism. Um, scoring a talent. <laughs> scoring a t- mm, it's a skill, not a talent. Uh, Whistling. Okay. Whistling? Okay. Mm. It would be fun if somebody was yodeling, but I don't think it's going to happen. But I think that would be really fun. Blazanoff will will yodel. Um, (laughs) Somebody will play the spoons. Oh, good one. Juggling. I think there's going to be some juggling. Okay. Um, Somebody should sing. Anyone going to be spinning plates? There's probably going to be a contortionist. Ooh. Yeah, one of the girls could make some money that way. Yeah, I think so. One of the whores. Um, What was the one I was singing? Oh, clogging. Ah. <laughs> Someone's going to break dance on stage. Clogging, the art of stuffing too much shit down the pipes. Oh, no. The figging <laughs> guy. The figging guy is going to show how to fig- Oh, yeah? Bellegarde's going to demonstrate how to shove ginger up your bum? Yes. It's a talent. Mm. <laughs> and then everybody will be enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's in two weeks. Uh, join us then for episode 33, Amateur Night. As always, you can find us at hooplecast.com or you can go on the Facebook uh, site. There's a there's this website. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Facebook. People use it. Wow. Search for Hooplecast. You will find our discussion group. Join that uh, and uh, converse with your fellow Hoopleheads. Also go on Twitter and at Hooplecast. Follow us there uh, where I retweet... Um, Various Deadwood related things that are going on. Send feedback to hooplecast at gmail.com. Go on iTunes, leave a five star review. Don't leave anything less than that. Don't be a schmuck. Leave a, leave a good review. Yeah, that's it. Um, Will. Yes. Thank you for joining us. This Thanks episode. Thanks for having me back. Yes. <laughs> My return. Are you going to keep sending in feedback now? Now that you're caught up, you don't have. Yes. Yeah. I plan to, and then phase two, I plan to watch all of those pilots, too. Very cool. All right. Do you have any podcasts of your own that you would like to promote? Uh, yes, yes. There's Down Below, which is a Babylon 5 intro cast. We're entering the final season next week. And there's also the Sensate podcast, should be returning in December-ish. And, and? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sometime later this year. Matt and I are starting Spartacast about the Stars series Spartacus. Mm-hmm. And we said this year, so I guess we have to yeah, start it sometime. I'm, I'm thinking September. 
because we're going to be done with this by the end of July. Okay. My son has a lot of good things to say about Spartacus. I've been meaning to watch that. Yes. Now you uh, will. Now you yeah. hopefully will. Yeah. And yeah. We're going, uh, much like Sue watches Buffy, we're going to be watching two episodes at a time. And we're going to not recap the entire thing. We're just going to sort of hit the bullet points, talk about mm-hmm. our reactions to it. Um, talk about keep it very informal. and blood and all the good stuff. Yeah. Sounds like another good show for you to watch in church, Carol. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really. Yeah, maybe I can uh, schedule some summer programs around it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, by the way, you know something I forgot to mention was uh, that I was watching an old Supernatural episode um, where they went to the Old West, and because I hadn't watched Deadwood before the last time I saw this, saw it, um... There's a Deadwood reference. Jim Beaver at one point says something about, you know, not leaving the the boys in Deadwood. And I was like, oh. Oh, cool. Jim Beaver is saying little, that. Cool little callback. Yeah, a little callback. And FYI, I don't know why I scheduled it like this, except that maybe I really wanted to be done at, by the end of July. Episodes uh, 10, 11, and 12 are all one week apart. So. Yeah, there was something that you wanted to be done by. I don't remember what. I but I could have scheduled one for July thirty first and I didn't, so maybe I thought I needed to give myself a week like breathing room or something like at the end in case something happened. I don't know. Uh, Everyone just check your schedules because we're gonna next week's then the last two week gap. After that it's all one week. Which is fine because then we get to watch the last three sort of in rapid succession, which Are I think we... is good for the pacing of it. Are we recording on July third? Let me see. Fourth of July weekend? We bring up the schedule. No, July 10th. Okay, that makes more sense. The 10th, the 17th, and the 24th. So yeah, those three weeks in a row. Yeah, that makes more sense. Okay. Oops, I don't have that on my schedule, so I will put that in. We are recording on the 17th. Well, uh, Will, you want to take us out with a fuck you? Yeah, fuck you. Drunken slur. Nice. Spend way too much time at the gym. <laughs> All right. I gotta go because I'm recording Clone Dance Party right now. Okay. All right. Bye. 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 Talk to you guys later. Thanks for being patient, guys. Oh no problem. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for being here. All right, I can leave church now. All right, bye. All right. <laughs> if it ain't man on elephant love, it ain't worth singing about. Attention, everyone. We have a very special treat for you. It's a musical reimagined acumen of the very uplifting story of Tom.
And listeners, if Will is very quiet, it's because he's watching the E3 press conference. <laughs> <laughs> I'm turning it all, turning everything off. <laughs> hey, it's Gamer Christmas, Matt. <laughs> yeah, I'm so sick of hearing Gamer Christmas. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Why? Some of, us, some of us on this podcast may have taken tomorrow off work to watch the press conferences. <laughs> mm. Did, did Matt not do it? Is that why he's? Are you bitter, Matt? I'm a little bitter. Yeah, I can't <laughs> afford to take the. Di- I can't afford to take the day off. So no Christmas for you. No Christmas for me. <laughs> anyways, yeah, it's over. There's nothing going on until from now. I'm fully engaged. <laughs> he's looking at like a still shot of E3. It's like just a still. <laughs> but it's just on my screen. I'm not looking at it. Okay. Seth is more bothered than Martha. <laughs> As to why, <laughs> Mel, you're you're knitting, so you don't you can't get to talk. I can pay attention. <laughs> yeah, knitting doesn't take a lot of. Seth attention. is more bothered than Martha as to when the school is to be relocated. She sees no use in quarreling with the theater people. There was a guy. I did a double take because it looked like there was a guy crossing the thoroughfare with a pizza pocket on his plate. <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> pizza pocket? <laughs> but it was it was just it was just a roll. <laughs> oh. Like just a plain dinner roll? Yeah. That's <laughs> random. That is, that's funny. I had a, I had a roll for a snack what? last night. You, you, oh, what roll? I had a roll for a snack. Because I have, because I bought them for um, lunch to make sandwiches, but I'm out of lunch meat and the bread's going to go bad. So I just warmed it in the microwave and ate it. Delicious. Well, I read my uh, one act farce last night. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you a know, good- they invented things you can put onto rolls when you do that, you know, like butter or, or yeah. No, that's not healthy for you. Or honey, jam. I don't have I don't have any, any of those things in my house. Peanut butter. No. Tahini. No. You must have salad dressing. That's <laughs> true. I could have done that. Salad dressing. Yeah. Yeah. They invented all kinds of things you can put on rolls. Huh. Yeah. Teach me your ways. <laughs> I you... will, young squire. I will beat you. Is that who you were named after, the Muse of Tragedy? Uh, you'd have to ask my parents. Probably not. <laughs> She's often depicted as holding a knife or a club in one hand and a tragic mask in the other. Oh, maybe they did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am pretty murderous. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was hoping that you would... Say uh, at the start of this episode, and joining me are my newbie co-host, and you'd say Mel Pomini. Oh, I should have. Damn it! <laughs> Damn it! Want to do you want to do it again? <laughs> well, welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts. <laughs> Can't do it, Mel <laughs> <laughs> Carol's not even here anymore. <laughs> I think she was. Uh, I think she, uh, yeah, God kicked her out of the Skype. <laughs> Just <laughs> because we're talking about Greek gods now, that's why. Oh, <laughs> it's like a burn. Oh snap! Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I have this. Speaking of salad dressing, I have this bottle of salad dressing on my desk. I have to put back in the refrigerator. All right, go ahead. Is that Carol? 
Yeah, you are the odd man out. You are not connected. Okay, she's going to try to restart. I don't know what else she could do. Reboot her computer? Yeah, exactly. That's all she could do. Reboot her church's router? (laughs) God needs a reboot. (laughs) Can you reboot God? I'm thinking about doing a 24-hour gaming marathon in November for Extra Life. Extra Life, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of doing that, but Mel thought it was lame. Did I? I can't do yeah. anything. I can barely... Uh, I can't do... It's hard for me to do the same thing for two hours straight. <laughs> I can't, yeah. I don't so I play different play games. games. It's not just one game. I'm just doing one yeah, game. But- I'm going to I'm gonna start with a clean save of Viva Pinata and see how many pinatas I can collect. Uh, it's just, I feel like that's how people die playing a video game. Well, you're allowed to take sh- uh, short breaks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's still crazy. I never said you couldn't do it. You just said it was lame. So, you can still do it. Do what you want. <laughs> it's just, I'm just gonna be annoyed because I'll be doing everything and you'll just be like, uh, in front of the video game. Yeah. Well, he has to do something really nice and selfless for you, like the previous week. Yeah, maybe. He should give you the day off to do something. Plus, it's for charity, Mel. It's not just playing video games. Right? Yeah. Right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not really. It's just an excuse to play games. It's an excuse I to just, just sit on your ass all day. Just imagine Mel go up to like somebody who's running a marathon for charity. <gasps> lame! <laughs> mm. Your marathon is lame. I have no problem with the charity. Well, I asked uh, my friend Prego Magic, because he did uh, the marathon last year, and I said, is it worthwhile? And he says... Saw that a lot of money went to the hospital I chose, and I actually got to go there and saw Extra Life posters where the guild was there playing games with the kids, and it was pretty cool. That's cool. So, um, yeah. I'll put a little um, graphic at the bottom of our podcast. Okay. <laughs> so it's a little self- selfish, too. she back yet? I can't tell. Oh. I think she might be. I think she might be. Add to group. Looks like it's actually connecting this time. Yeah, her avatar is all lit up. Yeah. So yeah, Matt, you could play Shenmue for 24 hours straight. I could. Although I'd probably beat the game. Or uh, maybe it would take longer than that, 24 hours. Hello? Hi. Welcome back. Yay! Yay, glad you're back. Yeah, me too. I don't know what that was all about. I have no idea. Where were we? Um, I was just saying... um, Welcome to Hooplecast. I'm your host, Matt, and joining me are my newbie co-hosts. Carol. Matt. Oh, yeah, it's you. <laughs> Matt points to me, and then he's like, thanks, Matt, you ruined everything. <laughs> and that's Melpomene. I can't remember what the name was anyways. Melpomene. Melpomene, <laughs> daughter of Zeus, sister of Thalia. Sorry, Melpomene, daughter of Zeus, and sister of Thalia. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> you can edit that down, can't you? <laughs> oh. I'm going to have a lot of editing to do this one. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> anytime, anytime.